Talk Live. Welcome to the program. The phones are open. If you want to join the show, you can bring up absolutely whatever you want uh, here on broadcast radio, online streaming. We've got a podcast as well. You can put us into your ears in a variety of different ways. You can go to freetalklive.com to learn more about that, learn more about the show. The phone number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Here tonight, it's Ian. And Chris. Chris, did you ever do any debating in like high school oh, God, or no. college or something like that? I was never in the debate class, but I think there was a time when, it, I think it was just like English class, where they did do some amount of debating. So there was a little bit, I think, in my in my past. I, I'm sure I've done it like in like some sort of history or social class yeah. or something. But I didn't join the like debate team yeah. or, or anything like that. I didn't really particularly enjoy it that much. But it is something that, you know, people who are into that, they see it as a rigorous way to defend a certain position i think in a lot of cases in debates you sometimes are asked to take a position that isn't even your own right so you're you're told you have to defend a position that is maybe the opposite from what you believe and you have to bone up on what the other side would say on what somebody who's not you would argue and argue from that position so it's kind of like an interesting intellectual experiment uh, from what i understand I've watched some debates recently. There was uh, the really excellent debate that they had at the uh, the warehouse, which is a gathering uh, place in New Hampshire, in Weir, New Hampshire, uh, that uh, free staters are frequently at. And there's you know gab- you know various different seminars and hangouts and movie showings or whatever it is that they're they're doing out there regularly. But they had a debate with uh, our very own Jay Noon who represented fiat currency. Oh, boy. Jeremy Kaufman from Library, LBRY.com, who represented a cryptocurrency. And then uh, Silver Dave represented precious metals, specifically silver, because that's kind of his thing. And they had a debate between the three of them, like, you know, which is the best form of money? It went on for two hours. It was really interesting. That video is online. I think if you look at the free Keen Odyssey channel, you'll find it. Was it on Freaking? No, you know what? It might actually only be on Joe's channel, Breaking the Flaw. I don't remember where it is, but it... I, I saw part of it. Yeah. I don't recall either where it is, though. But normally they, like, ask people in advance of the debate where they're at. They ask the audience what they believe on the topic, and then they take a count, and then at the end of the debate, they ask the audience again the same question, and they take another count, and they see... How many audience members have moved in one direction or another? And that's how they determine who, quote unquote, wins the debate. Mm. So that's my understanding of how it works. came across an interesting story uh, last night from the free press at thefp.com saying that at some high school debates, apparently debate is no longer allowed. Some judges in these debates are making their stance clear if you don't agree with the judges' positions on things, you will lose the debate. So here's the story. And if you want to comment on this, maybe you're in high school right now or college and you're seeing this actually happening, uh, or you've seen this happen and you want to comment, the number here is 603-283-6160. James Fishback is the author. He says, My four years on a high school debate team in Broward County, Florida, taught me to challenge ideas, question assumptions, and think outside the box. It also helped me overcome a terrible uh, terrible childhood stutter 
And I wasn't half bad. I placed ninth my first time at the National Speech and Debate Association Nationals, sixth at the Harvard National, and was runner-up at the Emory National. After college, between 2017 and 2019, I coached the debate team at an underprivileged high school in Miami. There I witnessed the pillars of high school debate start to crumble. Since then, the decline has continued from a competition that rewards evidence and reasoning to one that punishes students for what they say and how they say it. First, some background. Imagine a high school sophomore on the debate team. She's been given her topic about a month in advance, but she won't know who her judge is until hours before her debate round. During that time, perhaps she'll pace the halls as I did at the 2012 National Tournament in Indianapolis. She'll scroll on her phone to look up her judge's name on a website called Tab Room. That's not Tap Room. It's T-A-B-R-O-O-M, Tab Room, a public database maintained by the NSDA. That's the National Speech and Debate Association. That's where judges post their quote-unquote paradigms, which explain what they look for during a debate. If a judge prefers competitors not, quote, quote, spread, speak a mile a minute, then debaters will moderate their pace. If a judge emphasizes impacts, the reason why an argument matters, debaters adjust accordingly. But let's say when a high school sophomore clicks on tab room, she sees that her judge is Lila Lavender, the 2019 national debate champion whose paradigm reads, quote, Before anything else, including being a debate judge, I am a Marxist-Leninist Maoist. I cannot check the revolutionary proletariat science at the door when I'm judging. I will no longer evaluate and thus never vote for rightist, capitalist, imperialist positions slash arguments. Examples of arguments of this nature are as follows. Fascism, good. Capitalism, good. Imperialist war, good. Neoliberalism, good. Defenses of U.S. or otherwise bourgeois nationalism, Zionism or normalizing Israel. Colonialism, good. U.S. white fascist policing, good, etc. This is just so weird because the whole idea is to is to evaluate how well somebody argued a position, not that they agreed with the position. Yeah, this is crazy. (laughs) And how it is that this person can qualify as a judge in a debating uh, competition by presumably overseen by this NSDA. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're assigned the position that they have to take, right? The debaters. So I think so. You lose or win effectively, according to this judge, based on what position you're assigned. That's what it sounds like. That's. What's the point of debating? What's that's, the point of the club? That's then? the whole point of the uh, the article here is to say that debating is basically dead at this point they, because there's so many judges now, I guess, or some amount of them, a significant enough amount uh, that are like this Lila Lavender who just will tell you straight up if you don't agree with her p- particular political paradigm, you're sunk. Hmm. So how does that sophomore feel as she walks into her debate round? How will knowing that information about the judge change the way she makes her case if she can even make yeah how do you how do you i I mean are you if you get assigned you know one side are you supposed to then argue the side of your competitor i don't know i mean that would just be crazy uh can you if you're a participant in one of these debates can you say look i can't debate in front of this person can you just you know object essentially and demand a different judge i don't know if you know anything about this organization you can give us a call here at 603-283-6160 but how does someone like this Lila Lavender even get appointed as a judge. I mean, I get that she's the 2019 national debate champion, so that gives her, 
some kind of cred, but that just means she can debate. That doesn't necessarily mean she can judge a debate. Anyway. Sounds like she doesn't want debate. No, it doesn't. And she's not the only one. Traditionally, Mm. high school students would have encountered a judge like former West Point debater Henry Smith, whose paradigm asks students to focus on clarity over speed and reminds them that every argument should explain exactly how the person will win the debate. In the past few years, however, judges with paradigms tainted by uh, politics and ideology are becoming common. Debate judge Subham Gupta's paradigm reads, quote, If you are discussing immigrants in a round and describe the person as illegal, I will immediately stop the round, give you the loss with low speaks, meaning low speaker points, give you a stern lecture, and then talk to your coach. I will not have you making the debate space unsafe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So this person is saying that words, specific words are off limits. And look, I don't disagree with the opinion. I personally don't like calling people illegal. I think it's a ridiculous uh, position to take. Same here. But that doesn't mean that if somebody (laughs) said something in a debate that I was somehow the judge of uh, that, you know, I disagreed with shouldn't take the judges shouldn't take that stuff into factor. Debate judge Kriti Sharma agrees under her list of, quote, things that will cause you to immediately lose or rather automatically lose. Number three on her list is referring to immigrants as illegal. Should a high school student automatically lose and be publicly humiliated for using a term that's not only ubiquitous in the media and politics, but also, well, according to the person writing this, accurate. I don't agree. Once students have been exposed to enough of these partisan paradigms, they internalize that point of view and adjust their arguments going forward. That's why you rarely see students present arguments in favor of capitalism, defending Israel, or challenging affirmative action. Most students choose not to fight this coercion. They see it as a necessary evil that's required to win debates and secure the accolades, scholarships, and college acceptance letters that come with the winning. Yeah, you know, this is very true. Even when I remember when I was in high school, I mean, it's the whole idea is like, oh, you better join some sort of club. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter what it is, but you better be involved in some sort of activity so that when you apply to college, they know who to to pick. What club were you in? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) I don't even remember the name of the club, Uh, but I, I did actually, I was in a club for you know you know for basically because that's what the that's what you know they that's what the college people advised right. you know it's like it, it's it's i think you know it's kind of interesting but i feel like it it was almost a way to kind of weed out the kids who were uh they couldn't they couldn't weed kids out based on race anymore so they weeded them out based on whether they were not they were in a club mm. and of course all the white kids then joined a club and you know interesting but i don't know i don't know if that was the case or not but that's what it seemed like to me so, I mean, in a way, this debate restriction story here is for the students that are participating in it, just kind of like an introduction to what they're going to likely experience in college, right? Which is teachers that have a specific political viewpoint. We hear about it all the time uh, that want to shove their political viewpoint down the throats of all of their college students. So from that perspective, what's happening to the debate clubs isn't really that different than what's happened at the college level itself. So, I mean... they. It's not too surprising, I guess. 
Yeah, I, I've seen this at uh, sort of from the opposite, I think, perspective from more of a right Christian. Uh, really? Yeah, and I think it was an English class in college where he tried to basically push religion down, you know, our throats. Oh god! And it was it was very, yeah, it was very bizarre. <laughs> So on paper, the NDSA or NSDA rejects what these judges are doing. Its rules state, quote, judges should decide the round as it's debated, not based on their personal beliefs. Founded in 1925, the NDSA, uh, NSDA chooses the debate topics and facilitates hundreds of tournaments, including the annual national tournament in Arizona, where 6,000 students will compete the NSDA did not respond to emails and phone calls asking for comment. A random scroll through tab room reveals there are still sane judges out there. Amanda Marshall's paradigm says, I've been a trial lawyer for 25 years. I like clash, quality evidence from qualified sources, comparative analysis, and crystallization in last rebuttals. Don't take anything for granted. You have to explain your arguments, why your evidence is compelling, and how the arguments weigh in the round. It's your job to persuade me and communicate your positions in a way that is effective. And that is how you will win my ballot. I don't like whining, personal attacks, dominance, aggression, and disrespect. I do appreciate professionalism, kindness, and integrity. Or this paradigm from debate judge Stephen McCartney. Quote, my favorite debates are rigorous but friendly. I actually appreciate when one debater accepts one of their opponent's arguments as valid, but still persuades me that they should win the round. I'll make my decision based on who is the most persuasive, but persuading me will be done by showing with evidence that one side upholds their value and criterion better than the other side. In order to do this, a debater must speak slowly and clearly enough for me to hear and understand the arguments. Unquote. Unfortunately for students and their parents, there are countless judges at tournaments across the country whose biased paradigms disqualify them from being impartial adjudicators of debate from, quote, I will drop America first framing in a heartbeat to I will listen to conservative leaning arguments, but be careful. Judges are making it clear they are not only tilting the debate in a left wing direction, they will also penalize students who don't adhere to their ideology. And uh, again, if you've been in the debating world and you want to comment on how it appears to have changed over time, you can join the show here. The number is 603-283-6160. Uh, in the past year, Lindsay Schrodeck has judged over 120 students at tournaments in Massachusetts, New York, and New Jersey. The NSDA has certified her with its Cultural Competency Badge, which indicates she has completed a brief online training module in evaluating students with consideration for their identity and cultural background. Until last month, Schrodeck's paradigm told debaters, quote, If you are white, don't run arguments with impacts that primarily affect people of color. These arguments should belong to the communities that they affect. So she's saying if you're white, you can't make an argument that somebody who is a different color than you would make. I mean, that's just insane. Does that mean a, like a white person can only make a white supremacist argument and a black person can only make a black lives argument or something I, like that? I, I, well, no, she's only specifically restricting white people here is what it sounds like. Uh, her recently her paradigm was updated to eliminate that quote when asked why she said she didn't eliminate the idea itself and that she quote doesn't know if it's exactly my place to say what arguments will or won't make marginalized communities feel unsafe in the debate space. So there's that safety concept that's come up again here by some of these judges. They don't want unsafe words or f people to feel unsafe. 
And it's like, this is something we've heard just so much about over recent years is this idea of a quote unquote safe space. And to these people, a safe space isn't a place where you won't get shot to death if you win the debate or somebody won't jump you in the parking lot. A safe space is a place where no one gets their feelings hurt, where no one in the room, no debater or judge or somebody watching uh, the performance would be upset about some of the words that come out of another person's mouth. And it's just like, this is debating. This is where you take a position that inherently has disagreement involved in it. Somebody in the in the room, the person you're against, is it disagreeing with you? <laughs> People in the audience presumably are attending the debate because they might feel one way or another on this issue. And I, they could change their mind based on that. I mean, the, the, that is a, uh, it seems like that meets their definition of unsafe. There's I mean, ideas being thrown around here that might be disagreeable. I, and the, the humorous part is like, it's a, like you're supposed to argue a point. It's, it's better when you argue a point that you disagree with, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or a side that you disagree with. Um, that's kind of the whole point of the, the debate club, as I understand it. Yeah. Well, I, that's one reason why I don't really care about debate. Because, like, why would I want to argue for another side? I understand, like, it's an intellectual rigor kind right, of thing. Right, right. Just not well, for it's, me. it's entirely about the intellectual aspect of it. Yeah. You know? So, the idea that you would, like, not debate it or, like, yeah, it just sounds crazy. Or or not, or be afraid to tread into a certain area, be, be afraid to tread into certain arguments, be afraid to make certain points because you're worried that somebody is going to get their panties in a wad about what you say. I mean, I, how would you even argue, like, for example, immigration, right? How would you argue against illegal immigration but not use the word illegal immigration or illegal? Undo- undocumented or, worker. So, okay. So I guess you could maybe do it. <laughs> But it just it it does seem very bizarre. This is the t- kind of tiptoeing this politically connect or politically correct speak that has gone completely off the rails now. I mean, it was bad twenty years ago, but it's even worse now. As the person who writes the story here, uh, thefp.com points out, he says, "I disagree. In debate, unsafe quote unquote conversations should be encouraged, even celebrated." How better for young people from all backgrounds to bridge the divides that tear us apart and to discover what unites them. The debate I knew taught me to think and learn and care about issues that affected people different from me. We've come a long way from the 2004 Democratic National Convention when an obscure state senator from Illinois named Barack Obama said, If there's a child on the south side of Chicago who can't read... That matters to me, even if it's not my child. If there's an Arab family or an Arab American family being rounded up without the benefit of an attorney or due process, that threatens my civil liberties. It's that fundamental belief. I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper that makes this country work. It's what allows us to pursue our individual dreams, yet still come together as a single American family. End quote. 20 years ago, the NSDA I knew encouraged me to think and speak about how policies and issues impacted different communities but not anymore. One judge gives people of color priority in her debates. In general, students voluntarily and mutually disclose their evidence to the opponents or their opponents before the debate round, as both teams benefit from spending more time with the other team's evidence. But ex-Braithwaite, 
who's judged 169 debate rounds with 340 students, has in her own disclosure policy in her paradigm, which uses a racial epithet, one, here's what it says, quote, N-words, which it's written out, don't have to disclose to you. Two, disclose to N-words. This is racial discrimination, of course. If you're black, you get to keep your evidence to yourself and have a competitive advantage. If you're not black, you must disclose all of your evidence to your opponent and accept a competitive disadvantage. I mean, how does this even fly? How do people like this stay in this organization? I mean, I guess that's just a testament to how completely backwards and corrupt that this particular organization has become. And we're talking about the NSDA, that is the National Speech and Debate Association. The fact that people who are just wearing a bias on their sleeve are allowed to be a judge. I mean, it would be one thing if this judge just kept that quiet and then just did it in the moment, right? Like if they just revealed their biases in the debate. But here they are just showing it right there on a public database of what to expect from them. You think that would be some sort of disqualification? As That's a what judge. I'm saying. I just—it's just unbelievable to me that this is this is allowed. Uh, it says here, students who win under this rubric may view their victory as flawed, as if their win isn't a reflection of their hard work. Those who lose may view this as a singular reason for their loss, even if it wasn't. Students suffer, and so do the sportsmanship and camaraderie that high school debate was once known for. It's not just that certain arguments are no longer welcome. It's also the students who make those arguments. At the 2018 NSDA National Tournament in Fort Lauderdale, a student was publicly ridiculed by peers for making conservative arguments. She later posted a, quote, open letter from a deplorable S-bag on Reddit, which read, quote, to the judges and students wearing the F. Trump t-shirts, tears stream down my face as I write this. I've never felt so hurt in my entire life. I really did not appreciate your words toward me after the round. I didn't appreciate the spectators slash competitors wearing shirts with matching sentiment with you following me to my next rounds. I understand I speak fast sometimes and that I often unknowingly use words that offend certain groups of people. Also, I'm sorry that my attire didn't fit your standards. I know about the stain on my shirt, but it is really all I had. There's more coming up here, a little bit more about this story. You can share your thoughts on the status of political correctness. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chainlocks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. The 
This is Free Talk Live, and you can join the show here. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Here in the studio tonight, it's Ian and Chris. You can join us online, of course, over at freetalklive.com. And I want to let you know and thank you, or thanks and thanks out to Jared Hofker, who is a gold-level supporter of our AMPS program. Gold meaning that Jared is contributing 10 bucks a month to AMPS. AMPS stands for Advertise, Market, Promote, and Support. It's a way for you to get behind what we do here on Free Talk Live. And what we do, of course, is spread the ideas of freedom, liberty, peace, cryptocurrency, alternatives to the violent status quo that we have today. Uh, if you like what we're doing, then join Jared over there at amps.freetalklive.com. That's amps.freetalklive.com. We got an update on the Odyssey, or sorry, the library case, uh, lbry.com, that just came out via the PACER government court system. Uh, we can give you a brief update on that coming up here in a little bit. And, of course, your calls and thoughts are welcome. But, again, if you want to back the show up for as little as $5 a month, and Jared's doing 10 so definitely appreciate the support. You can go to amps.freetalklive.com, and you can support us via debit card, credit card, or PayPal through amps.freetalklive.com. That takes you over to our Patreon. Now, let's say you don't care for Patreon. Well, we have another option for you. You can join uh, the Odyssey channel as a supporter there. Just go to watch. Sorry, go to uh, video.freetalklive.com and click the Join button there at the top. And we're going to talk more about Odyssey in regards to what might happen to library or what is going to happen, just the details haven't quite been hammered out yet in what is the equivalent of a sentencing procedure, but it's not criminal, so it's some other term in civil law. Anyway, we can get into that. But what we've been talking about here is the sort of the death of the national debating organization. This is known as the National Speech and Debate Association. Very interesting, revealing story by The Free Press at thefp.com. A gentleman writing the story has a lot of debating experience. His name is James Fishback, and he's you know won a bunch of debates, made, made it to nationals, did fairly well. And he's talking about this website where debate judges post what they call paradigms. And the website is called tabroom, T-A-B-R-O-O-M dot com. And so if you're in this debating organization as a high school senior or whatever your age is, and you wanna, you're want you going to a debate, you know you what your topic is, you can go and look up the judge that's going to be judging your debate on this website. And it's apparently an official site maintained by the NSDA. And the judges there post their paradigms, which explain what they look for during a debate. And what we've learned in this story here is that some of these judges are just straight up saying to you, and I I don't know if you have any way of challenging this as a debater. I would hope that there's some way to do it. But they're just straight up saying, yeah, if you offend me, if if your viewpoints are not matching my political viewpoints, if you're not a Maoist Marxist, then you are going to lose the debate. Or if you try to uh, position your arguments as someone who has a different color of skin would, you will lose the debate, is what one of these other judges had to say. And it's just pretty outrageous. 
but going on here, he says, during my time as a coach, I saw many students lose interest and quit. They'd had enough of being told what they could and couldn't say. A black student that I coached was told by a debate judge that he would have won his round if he hadn't condemned Black Lives Matter. This is a black student who was told this. In 2019, I gave up on the NSDA and formed a new debate league. He calls it Incubate Debate, their website, incubatedebate.org. To judge debates, we recruit elected officials, members of the armed forces, business executives, faith-based leaders, and others. At the 18 no-cost tournaments we've hosted this year, thousands of students have come together to debate, have fun, and learn from each other. And good for him. I think that is a good solution here, right? Rather than trying competition. To, right. Rather than trying to change the old organization, this old broken, this hundred plus, almost 100-year-old now, 98-year-old organization from the inside, like, oh, well, we got to get elected to the board, and then we got to change the paradigms from the inside. No. He just went ahead and did the right thing which is to create his own competing organization. And I don't know, you know, if they're perfectly principled. I haven't taken, you know, I haven't looked at it in any kind of detail, but it's it's another alternative. It's another option for people to decide to join. And I think that's that's the right way to do it. You build the alternatives rather than trying to take down uh, the existing status quo. He says, finally, think back to that high school sophomore who's nervously pacing before an NSDA debate. Before she enters her round, she reads her judge's paradigm and says to herself, I'm going to lose. Her loss won't be because her argument lacked evidence or support. Her argument simply doesn't conform to her judge's ideology. Imagine her disappointment and hopelessness. Imagine her weeks of research and rehearsal. She never had a shot. So if you want to join the show here, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Now, of course, there are some people in the liberty movement who are, you know, they make a similar argument of we need to build the alternatives. And I don't disagree with that. Um, however, the difference, of course, in what we're doing here in New Hampshire and with this national debate organization is the National Debating Organization is a voluntary association, right? So you don't have to be associated with it. You're not forced to fund their system. You can simply step away from it. You can join this other guy's thing. You can form your own uh, system if you want to, your own debating club, and do it the way you want. So there's not coercion involved like there is, of course, with the state. And so as much as I like the idea of, you know... Uh, what do they call it? Uh, agorists, right? Agorism sort of working outside of the system to create an alternative economy. And I think that's all great. I really do. And I support it as much as I possibly can, right? So, I mean, we bought some meat from Jay Noon here. It's in the house. It's delicious. I didn't have to go through any sort of government uh, process or whatever. And there's a lot of this community here in New Hampshire where people are buying and selling things from other people within the community. There is this sort of agorism going on. You know, that's that's likely not being reported to governments in any way, shape, <laughs> yeah, or form. Right? That's for sure. Yeah. So I, I do support that, and I think it is important. But unfortunately, we still have to change the system. And I wish we didn't. I wish that we could just ignore it and have it just go away. Unfortunately, they will not be ignored. These people, these psychopaths who want to rule over your life, 
they have men with guns, they have cages, they've got vans, they've got handcuffs, they've got all the things they need, they've got bombs that they will use to enforce their beliefs on you. And they will drop them on you, an American even. They have, and yep. they, they've done it in the past. Uh, and they'll, they will do it again, and they'll make whatever excuse they need to make, and most people will look the other way, or they'll just say, oh, it's just a few bad apples, and they'll have all the excuses they're, they're going to have. So as much as I want to just build out of this, I don't think it's possible to simply go that one direction. There's still too many people who are caught up in the statist paradigm, the paradigm that that it's okay to use violence against their neighbors, even though they don't see it that way, right? Like they don't, when they think about the state, the average person doesn't think about the violence inherent in the system. They just think, well, that's just the way it is. We we have to pay taxes. It's the cost of doing business. It's the it's cost, a cost of, of living in a free society. Cost of living in a civilized society, uh, blah, blah, blah. So we hear a lot of these excuses. And that's why, of course, gathering people together is necessary. That's why the Free State Project is such an important uh, concept to encourage people who already have our beliefs in individual liberty and peace to come to the same geographic area. But the reality is there's still not enough of us. Nope. I mean, we're not going to get 100% of libertarians to move to New Hampshire. That's unrealistic. If we could get 5%, I think that would be a tremendous success story. You know, the good thing, though, is we don't need, you know, 100 percent of libertarians to move to New Hampshire. We need a percentage of libertarians to move to New Hampshire. That's why I say 5 percent would be tremendous. Yep. If we could get it. But that's still not enough to win an election. That's still not enough, you know, to dominate the New Hampshire political scene. That's just enough to bring enough activists here to where we can't really be ignored. You know, we... Uh, can ha- we're already having tremendous influence, and they're already they're not already ign- not ignored. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we're not being ignored as is. There's uh, groups that have been formed to specifically oppose the free staters. There's people who are just absolutely obsessed uh, with the free staters, haters who are obsessed with us in relatively high level positions. So we've been the the liberty activists here in New Hampshire have been acknowledged as a as a force. To be reckoned with. And we're still relatively early on in this whole political migration thing. But I don't think we can just build our way out of it. Do you? Just build our way out of it? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, mean, there I, are some people who say, oh, well, you know, don't participate in the system. Don't yeah, vote. It, I, I think I think maybe the way you're meaning it, probably not. Um, obviously, you know, uh, to some degree, I think you can ignore them. And for most people, you know, nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you ignore them in certain areas, you know, like, like for when example, they flip the blue lights on behind you as you're driving somewhere, yeah, or I don't think ignoring them is going to work there. For example, if you don't pay your property taxes, right? Nope. You might yeah, be able you to can't ignore those. You might be able to ignore your income taxes, but if you ignore your property taxes, they're going to come after you. Oh, yes, they will. Yeah. So. Relatively quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's because uh, the paradigm hasn't shifted. You know, and it would be one thing to ignore them if... The supermajority of people were on your side. If there was like no doubt that your neighbors, 90% of them or 85% of them, saw the government as a criminal enterprise, then I think that would change how this was playing out. I think that you would actually probably be able to ignore them at that point. Because if there were, you know, if 80 to 90% of the populace was in agreement with you, well, then if you went in front of a jury, you'd have no problem 
winning know, a case. I, there is also the other the other side of this, right? You don't even necessarily need 90% of people to agree with you. You just need enough people to agree with you doing what you're doing that it overwhelms the system mm. and resisting, right? So I don't know what that number is, but let's say it's 5%, right? Mm. Because there's only so many you know, judges. There's only so much money going into the court system. There's only so much of that. Yeah, but 5%, you're not guaranteed to get somebody on a jury at 5%. You, but, but you don't necessarily need somebody on a jury. You, if, if you had 5%, let's say, you've overwhelmed their system. And if every person, you know, say, demands a jury trial, they don't have enough money going to that system to cover it, which would just ultimately end up increasing those costs. And eventually, they're going to have to give up, even if they can pro, uh, go after you know, a certain percentage of us. No, I, I get what you're saying as far as uh, overwhelm the system argument. I'm is not concerned, saying but. I'm not saying it's necessarily a successful uh, strategic move. I'm simply saying, in theory, you you might be able to go down that path, and it it might it might right. But you're still going to have people going to prison in that yeah, case, right? Right. So, but they all there's always going to be people going to prison because they're always looking to make examples out of people. No, I understand that. But the what I was talking about, Chris, was the idea that. You know, we can ignore changing the system. Okay, so there's people who say that don't vote, don't work within the system, stay outside of the system, build the agora, build the alternatives, and then eventually the system will just disappear. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, unless you have a super majority. That's not going to (laughs) work. Of the the people on your side. I mean, maybe you could get away with a slight majority, like 60% or something like that. You have to have a significant number of the populace who agrees with, like, voluntarism, anarchism, yeah. libertarianism, before you're going to actually be able to ignore the system, right? To, before you can just have mass civil disobedience, mass non-payment of taxes, mass, all of that stuff, and then have people just ignore the court orders or whatever, hmm. you would need to have a significant percentage of the population. And, and 5% of libertarians moving to New Hampshire ain't going to be that. So given that there's not enough libertarians out there to make something like that happen, we have to persuade people. Yeah. We have to. You're, you're, uh, the argument is it's, it's, not, it's, not the, it's not the best strategic move, I think, um, to, to go down that path. To, to build the alternatives, uh, solely build the alternatives? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I like I'm saying. Yeah. Working, working within the system, combining that and working within yeah, the system. Yeah, do them both. Maybe. Why, I mean, not, why but, not do both? Yeah, right? solely, solely one thing is, is probably not going to get you what you want. And we've seen success with the working in the system. It's tough. It's frustrating. It's slow. It's icky. Well, and, and you know what? I mean, I think working outside that system has its uh, benefits too in, in some respect like for Absolutely. example um, uh, it generates publicity often that you'll, you're not going to get from working within the system which Agreed. is going to attract people to, more people to New Hampshire which will then result in there being more people in the system working right. to solve it which will get us more results like yeah. more practical results yeah I mean you and I we've always I think been in favor of just doing whatever can make a difference right i mean yeah, absolutely work in the system run for office whatever do some civil disobedience uh do whatever you think is the right thing to do but don't take down other people for doing the thing that they think is good right so if they're working if somebody's working within the system if somebody's voting they shouldn't be shouted down by the people who are the outside the system people because if that's what you want to do if that's what you want to focus on fine by all means i don't get ups i don't get insulted by people who don't want to vote i think it's kind of silly i, I think but, there's a fallacy in in, in in even going down that path in that it's it's not going to change 
it, you know, voting could potentially have an impact, right? Whereas not voting will definitely have a negative impact, right? And I'm mm-hmm. not sure I'm not sure why you would want to go down a path that is going to be strategically undermining. Um even if you're not well, even I, if you don't necessarily think that it's going to have uh you know a substantial impact i guess is what i'm trying to say if the captain were here and he's uh, one of our current co-hosts i believe captain and nikki are two anti-voter uh co-hosts on free talk live but if if he were here yeah i think that he would say that it is immoral for him to participate in the system that it uh that I mean, by voting he would be endorsing the system it only be um endorsing the system if you were voting for candidates that were you know uh against liberty or uh trying to take away your freedoms um you would think but no their viewpoint is that just simply registering to vote and participating regardless of who you're voting for even though you might be voting for all pro-liberty 100 percent voluntarist candidates which you can actually do in new hampshire you can only vote for libertarian voluntarist types if you want to, but they would still say that by simply showing up, you are giving your approval to the system. I I don't see how that is. Um, it's just in their heads. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, this, you know, this seems like this seems like a, a it's fantasy. Yeah, it seems it seems like a, a fallacy to say that somebody who votes agrees with the system. Um, I can vote and not agree with that system, right? right? Like I don't agree with the way the system is the the way the democracy is uh, currently, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to vote just because I disagree with it. Well, here's the other thing. The system doesn't care whether you vote, right? The system, the people who believe in it, the people who are the true believers in this religious system, which is what it is really. The government's really just an evil religion that justifies violence against people. But those people don't care if you show up or not. They're going to keep doing what they're they doing. They want you not to show up. It doesn't matter to them, right? It doesn't matter. They're going to keep doing what they're doing because you're going to pay the tax bill at the end of the day. All these people who say they don't vote, you better believe they're paying yeah. the tax bill at the end of the day. And that's where the the rubber really meets the road. Let's go to the phones here. Uh, caller, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Chris. Go ahead. Hi, am I on? You are. What's your name, caller? Oh, uh, my name's Robin. Robin, you're on the air. What's on your mind? So I was listening. I'm sorry I haven't been listening tonight because y'all don't broadcast live. We're in my area. I was oh, listening okay. to a podcast the other day. Um, and you, you guys were talking about Kratom, yeah. um, and there was some discussion about methadone and Suboxone and Subutex, and I happen to be a prescriber of those substances. Oh, all right. Um, I work in a rehab facility um, treating opioid addiction, um, and I just wanted to correct a few things. The first thing sure. I wanted to say is I don't want people that have an addiction to opioids to be afraid to get on methadone, Suboxone, and Subutex. Um they are much safer than what's out there, especially since what's out there now isn't even heroin. It's actually fentanyl cut with sugar alcohol. There's there's mm. not any heroin out there. Really? Um, at least uh, at least in my area. Yeah. Okay. Everybody's testing and, positive for just fentanyl. Wow. And where um, are you calling so from? South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. And so there's no way for them. They'll say they're using a gram a day or something like that, but mm. they're trusting math of these folks cutting the fentanyl into the sugar alcohol. So frankly, legalization, I'd prefer to deal with heroin and, and pills Absolutely. than fentanyl. <laughs> but um, the thing about Kratom is that 
I have seen people get addicted to Kratom mm -hmm. um, and have a harder time coming off it. They've tried to use it to come off of heroin or fentanyl, as the case may be. And they tend to escalate the doses and keep using more and more and more. Whereas I have seen multiple times success with people coming off of opiates using buprenorphine, which is Subutex and Suboxone and Methadone. They're a lot longer acting than Kratom. They're definitely a lot longer acting than fentanyl and heroin. Um, because they're so long acting, you would have to taper down slowly, and it takes a while. But I have had multiple patients be successful with coming off of them slowly, and they weren't able to get off of the shorter-acting opioids. Anyway, it was just driving so me So let me just make sure me. I understood what you're saying there, Robin. <laughs> you're saying in your experience as somebody who is involved in this you know, side of helping people with breaking these mm -hmm. addictions, you've seen people try Kratom and they haven't had mm -hmm. as much success to use Kratom to break a harder opiate addiction as you've right. seen people with uh, using Suboxone, for instance, to break yes. heroin addiction. And, and I, I, what they end up doing is trying to break the, the heroin or fentanyl addiction. Mm -hmm. And they end up addicted to the Kratom. They end up, there, there was talk on the podcast the other night about somebody who was using crazy amounts of Kratom. Mm -hmm. Just like any other drug, I think there's, there's you know, certain people that can use drugs without becoming addicted. Certain right. people who I, I honestly think have a pre genetic predisposition to become addicted. And unfortunately, I don't think you know who that, if that's you until it bites you. Yeah. Um, but so I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not for like making stuff illegal. None of my patients have come in looking for recovery because it's illegal. Um, <laughs> it, 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 you know, making stuff illegal doesn't solve the problem. But I, just at the education part, I, 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 I have more faith, I guess, because I deal with them every day in buprenorphine and methadone as ways to get off of opiates than Kratom, even though Kratom is natural and all that kind of stuff. Now, do you, I presume you've got to get natural. a doctor's prescription to get the uh, Suboxone, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I'm a nurse practitioner, so I write prescriptions. You can do and, that. And, now, oh, what kind of yeah. cost are we talking about? I mean, would the Kratom be a cheaper option for somebody that doesn't want to go to the doctor and... You know, go it to a pharmacy. It probably depends on how much. Probably depends on how much you're using. Mm -hmm. um, my my guess is that the cost would probably be a trade off if you're a heavy user. Um, mm -hmm. There is things like GoodRx that you can use for the prescription drug program. If you have insurance, a lot of times insurance will cover some of this stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're a heavy user. Ugh, if you're a heavy user of like fentanyl and heroin, the cost is it's cheaper to do buprenorphine and methadone. It just is. Mm -hmm. um, but Kratom, I'm not as aware of what the prices are, but but my guess would be it's probably a few hundred dollars a month to be on methadone or Suboxone or Subutex. And my guess would be a heavy user would probably be spending a few hundred dollars a month. Um, someone could probably call in and correct me on that if Did, I'm wrong. Have you seen any <laughs> success stories with Kratom? I personally haven't, but then you have mm -hmm. to keep in mind I'm not looking for them per right. se. When people right. come in to see me, they're 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 in trouble and looking. Right, they're them. already you know it hasn't worked. Whatever they've tried hasn't worked. Right. They're coming to see. Right. Me. I got a yeah. question for you. Yeah. What's what is the amount of time that it takes to get off of these drugs? Um, usually, I recommend that you stay on methadone or buprenorphine for six to twelve months and wow. get six to twelve months of what I would call 
good healthy habits and sobriety behind you mm-hmm. before you try and get off them and then take another probably six to 12 months to get off it. Wow. So it's a long process. Serious stuff, but usually yeah. by the time people t- come in to see me, they've got years behind them. Um, and I hear, what I hear is not that it's illegal, but they, I hear I'm tired of it. I'm tired. Wow. Thank so, you uh, for yeah. sharing your experience tonight, Robin. I really appreciate you calling in and share that. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. And yeah, if you're listening to a podcast and we're not talking about that topic, you can just bring it up. Bring up whatever you want here on Free Talk Live. The number is 603-283-6160. Coming up, a Swedish VPN rated. We'll tell you about it. Some of you have wanted to support Free Talk Live's mission on a monthly basis, but don't want to support Patreon. Now we have an alternative that also helps our premier streaming platform, Odyssey. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join at the top of the channel. You can subscribe for $5 per month, and unlike other subscription services, Odyssey adds their processing fee on top, so it'll cost a little over $5 per month, but Free Talk Live will receive the entire amount you pledged. Higher donation tiers are available if you're feeling so inspired. You'll get a special membership badge that's visible in the Odyssey chat room, and if we get enough supporters, we may enable members-only chat. This new subscription method is a great way to decentralize our direct listener support away from just Patreon and also support a libertarian-run business, Odyssey. Please visit video.freetalklive.com and click join to subscribe to our Odyssey channel and help support spreading our message around the planet. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join today. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off the second hour of the program. Join us, 603-283-6160. At 603-283-6160. Here tonight, it's Ian and Chris. You can join Chris on his show. It's called Freedom Decrypted. He does it weekly on Saturdays, about 5 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern Time. On video, audio, both available through freedomdecrypted.com. Chris, what is the show? It's a tech show for prickly people. So we basically cover a lot of the same, a lot of the same kind of stuff that we cover on uh, Free Talk Live, actually, except with a tech slant to it. Yeah, you get a little more deeper into the weeds, yeah. and uh, you definitely bring up some stories that we we probably wouldn't cover here just because it's too technical. Um, so yeah, if you, definitely. If you um, like tech, there's there's definitely more Linux and free software kind of stuff, and. Uh, just uh, anything that involves like, uh, you know, like a government, you know, attacking liberty or freedom in some way uh, we'll cover. Which they're always doing as yeah. far as, <laughs> uh, especially as tech is concerned. We could talk about the library case here in a little bit. Yep. Uh, but there's a, there's a story you've been wanting to share uh, over the past couple of weeks. We just haven't had a chance to get to it. And that is out of uh, Europe, Sweden, apparently. A yep. Swedish VPN, which I know uh, they've been rated. We'll talk about that. But I know that when I hear about Sweden, I think, aren't they one of the more privacy-friendly countries? Aren't they like, you know, like Ugh. if you're if you're a VPN user, don't they say, oh, you should use a Swedish VPN or a Swedish exit point? Because they might be. Um, I think Iceland is the one you're probably thinking of. Because hmm. I thought um, there's there's certain European countries, Iceland, that, maybe Switzerland. Maybe it was Switzerland. I always get those two confused. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure about Sweden okay. as much, okay. but I mean it might be one of them. But yeah, I'm, maybe it was Switzerland. There's certain countries yeah. in Europe 
that are sort of known for having the best privacy protections as far as, you know, if you're uh, if you download some movie from the Pirate Bay, the Switzerland or the Swiss government isn't going to come after you or or whatever. They don't care. Essentially, this is not legal advice. (laughs) Obviously, I don't remember which countries. Uh, they are. But. Sweden might have been one in there um, at Do some your own point, research. too. Um, there may have also been rulings that have come out that, you know, this is the thing. Um, often, you know, countries are good until they're not. Mm, meaning, you never know when that's right, going to change, they, right? You know, the entertainment industry goes and brings a lawsuit or something along those lines. And then all of a sudden, they're not so good anymore because they've they've uh, gotten themselves a ruling that, you know, undermines privacy or and security basically for everyone, unfortunately. So what happened? So in this case, this is a super interesting story. And by the way, this is coming from The Verge. Okay. Um, it's it's involving a VPN uh, provider called Molvad. And they're, they're actually a pretty popular VPN provider, too. Um, and basically, uh, the police tried to raid its offices but couldn't find any user data. And this is important mm. because this is what you want. When it comes from a to VPN. from a VPN provider, because there's some of them that claim they don't log your data, but how do you really know, right, what they're doing? And the thing is, it's often the case that VPN providers are lying about these things, mm. and the reason, in part, it's or they're telling myths, they're half truths, right? So there's something called a session log. It's essential for like providing VPN services. And all it is, is while you're connected to the VPN, obviously they know who you are, right? So if say you you have an account, you have an account, right? Um, They know what your IP address is. Well, so you have usually when we're talking about VPN providers in this type of scenario, we're talking about a shared IP. So the question is, are they logging what websites that particular account is going to? Mm -hmm. That's the question. And, if and you they're basically not, have to trust them. Right. If they're when they say no logging, they're not doing that. But they're talking about writing a actual log file to like a hard disk or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. All right. But session logs aren't that. They're just in memory temporarily while you're connected to the VPN. If you if say, for example, uh Molvad was raided while you were connecting to the Molvad VPN, mm-hmm. well, they could Throw in, they could take a look, they could bring up a log on the screen, the session log, and they could see that you're connected to some. You they know, could see what's happening in the right, moment. Right, in the moment, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's that's why I say it's a little bit of a half truth when, when, when companies say, VPN providers say they're not logging. Sort of it's true, um, but obviously for the internet to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you got to know where a person's going right. so you can get them there, right? Yep. So, um, but what this does say tell me is that uh, they're not permanent. They're not making any permanent logs. I think is what this is basically. You know, this was called Movad. Movad. M O L. It's M U L L V A D. Movad. M U L L V A D. Okay. Yep. And um, they are one of the providers that I have recommended. Um, they that they've. I feel like they've done things right. Um, this would be besides your own provider, which is called uh, yeah. So we have. A, I also VPN. offer a Penguin VPN service through ThinkPenguin.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that Molvad does right is how they set up their WireGuard VPN service, which is basically uh, a WireGuard is the protocol, basically. Mm-hmm. And a lot of VPN providers are requiring you to install proprietary software that you can't trust. Ooh, that's not good. And that could potentially undermine whatever security you have on your system. And Molvad mm-hmm. doesn't do that. Mm. Um, there's a couple of others that there's there's a handful that don't, but 
it's 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 one of those things where if, if they're ma- if they're making you use proprietary software, which is not open source by right, definition, it, especially when there's not any source code to it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's potentially problematic. Um, OVAD, OVPN, um, I think there's. I'm trying to think of some of the others, but there's there's not that many of them. Basically, is what it comes mm-hmm. down to. And th- so this is so this is another good indicator that. Uh, um, you know they're they're doing something right. So here, let's get into the story here. So Mulvad, the Swedish company behind Mulvad VPN, says police walked away with nothing after wah, attempting to wah, seize wah. computers from its office. <laughs> As, attempting to what's, seize. You know what's entertaining about this though is too is that they would raid the office because that's not presumably mm-hmm. where, the where the VPN servers, servers are. are. <laughs> um. So. I have to wonder if this was just incompetence on the, the mm. law enforcement side or the law enforcement didn't really care or yeah, that's a good question because it doesn't necessarily prove that they weren't logging. It's just they walked away after a raid having maybe raided the wrong address. Hmm. Um, I mean, if you think about it, Mulvad has VPN servers all over the world. Yeah. So yeah, well, why would you raid the office? I don't know. They, they probably figured you could still log in remotely. Right? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Get access to whatever they need to get access to. But what's interesting is they claim they walked away empty handed. I mean. Meaning I, they didn't even seize the servers in the first place. So how would they know other than the fact that they trusted Bovad? I don't know. I presume they got in and looked around themselves. But let's see what yeah, else they have to say. As reported earlier by PC Mag, according to an update. Well, and the thing is, like, if you understand how law enforcement works. They're not going to look at the computer. Well, they might look at the computers while they're there. What's they did, on screen? They did here, but they're not necessarily going to go through the computers on on site. Generally speaking, that's what they would call a live forensics investigation. Yeah. And one of the reasons that they're not going to do that is well, one, it's time consuming. Mm-hmm. But the re- reason, um, besides, I mean, that's one of the reasons they're not going to do it on site. But what they will do is they'll take a picture of whatever's on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the parts of like a forensics investigation is logging every little thing that you do. So. Generally, what's going to happen is they're going to pull the power and then they're going to take it back to a lab and analyze. That's why I'm surprised here. I mean, this wasn't clearly it wasn't a forensics investigation. They were looking for something else. Right. And they didn't find that, which is interesting because you would think they would have just done a subpoena, Mm -hmm. not a not performed a raid on the company. Yeah. But raiding a company is a punitive act. Right. Yes. It it's the company bad. that's doing something illegal, not a user of the company. Well, was it? Well, let's keep going. <laughs> well, I, I presume they were looking for information about certain users, but yeah, what's, I presume so what's too. The reason here, according to an update on the Movad site, the authorities left and didn't take anything after it informed them that the company doesn't store customer data. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds like they took their word for it. It sounds like it. We argued they had no reason to expect to find what they were looking for, and any seizures would therefore be illegal under Swedish law. Hmm, okay. Generally, they're not going to believe the person that they're raiding, so kind of interesting. Yeah. Mulvad writes, after demonstrating that this is indeed how our service... Now, imagine if you could just talk... Talk your way out of it. Out yeah. Of a, <laughs> like, hey, you guys, this isn't going to work out for you. Have uh, a nice day. Uh, indeed, how our service works... And them consulting the prosecutor, they left without taking huh. anything and without any customer information. Um, so wow. one of the things is... They could have just called them and asked. <laughs> I suspect the reason it went down the way it did, if this is in fact what happened, I suspect comes down to the fact that I believe, I, I think I read this article before, they were doing it on behalf, the Swedish uh, Swedish law enforcement were doing it um, mm. on behalf of the German law enforcement. Oh. And... 
they probably sort of went in blind <laughs> mm-hmm. to do the raid and <clears throat> and then after talking with the you know people there they realized that it wasn't going to do any good and and the prosecutor probably didn't really care because it's not the prosecutor's case it's it's a german german law enforcement's case yeah that's an interesting distinction here because if it was their own case maybe they would have been a little more uh rough with the people maybe they would have taken stuff maybe they would have not apologized or not listened to what was being said whereas in this case they're like Oh, well, yeah, if we seize all this stuff, we're just going to have to hold it somewhere and then probably give it back. And that's going to be a big hassle. So we'll just leave it. There's no benefit, basically, for them. And there's only negatives. So they don't get the conviction. They don't get the. They're not prosecuting the company anyway. It's the it's the data. I I wonder if they even knew it was a VPN provider when they went in and raided. Um, I, I, I. I don't know. You'd think that they would do a little bit more research than that, but we've seen some pretty incompetent things from law enforcement in, in the U.S. at least. For sure. Um, so a VPN is a service that lets you securely browse the Internet using an encrypted connection to a private server. It hides mm, virtual private network. Yeah, it, that's kind of weird saying a private server, but OK. I mean, it is, I guess it hides identifying information such as your IP address. And what it is, is it, it's a shared server is what mm-hmm. you're using, really, uh, because it's. You're you're connecting to VPN's, I guess, private server, but it's that that server is being shared amongst all the users of or well, there's more than one, but all the users of the service and they're using well, multiple users on one IP address. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So I always wondered how many IPs these these guys it's going to be assigned. more than one, yeah. <laughs> but no, there's, you're going to generally speaking, um, unless you have a static IP address, but then it's going to be. It's a little bit of a different setup, but oh, generally, wait, do they put users on the same IP at the same time? Yes, or is it just okay? Yes, and that's how come without those logs, you don't necessarily know what user, you know, did what thing that somebody, uh-huh. you know, if there's law enforcement or you know copyright cartels or whoever it is right. wants it, they need those logs. That's why sometimes when you're on a VPN and you go to certain websites they'll say oh well this ip has been restricted due to blah 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 or whatever somebody else was trying to spam or whatever else they were trying to do from that ip it wasn't you but it was somebody else on the same vpn who was doing something they shouldn't have been doing and so you get punished for it because you're on the same ip it's actually amazing uh that they even do that because there's all sorts of you know vpns are just one technology um, but lots of companies have what are called proxy servers, mm-hmm. and the the point isn't to anonymize anybody. And, and often the the proxy servers will actually send along uh, another IP address of the user. But the point is, it's not. It, there's many situations where you may have one IP address for many users. Mm-hmm. So to block an IP address is going to affect more than just a single user. Right. Um, you might be affecting you know hundreds of users or thousands of users. Even. Sure. There's whole countries behind a single proxy server in some instances. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's actually kind of amazing that security policies are such at many at many websites to basically block huge swaths of the yeah. internet. I mean, it's an extreme thing to do, but sometimes blocking an IP is the only way you can stop somebody from coming into your system, right? Uh, yeah, and often they block whole IP ranges in many yeah. cases too. Right, so they could just yeah, it's like get a new IP. Oh, we're gonna block all of New Hampshire because there's one person in New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy, but that's really how it works in yeah. many cases. Or whole countries or whole whole continents mm-hmm. um, are sometimes blocked. It's because there's more. It's there's certain 
uh, likelihood that you're going to have a hacker coming from that part of the the country or that part of the the world. So they just say, you know what, we'd just rather not have anyone from that country. Yeah, I mean, sometimes <laughs> it's a situation where like a company only does business in the United States, so they're just going to block all of China or all mm-hmm. of Asia or all just of Africa, or, right? Yeah. Because they don't do business with Africa or you know China or Asia or any of those countries so, or continents. <laughs> yeah. So you just know, lock them out. It it doesn't have as much of an effect, negative effect, but. Right. It hides identifying information such as your IP address from third parties, making it possible to access geo blocked websites or get a more private browsing experience. Uh, something else to point out, an IP address is sort of like your home address. You can sort of think of it like mm-hmm. that, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean your home address. It could be like an apartment building, not necessarily your your, your physical address. Right. Um, unlike many other VPN services, Molvad doesn't require an email address to sign up, and instead of instead, it generates a random account number for huh. all users. Wow, that is unusual. Um, yeah, I mean, how useful that is, um, you know, it's it, it's sort of somewhat debatable, but um, certainly not having an email address or a phone number or other you know, information tied to your yeah, to an account more in a, is definitely the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of different ways that you can do this. And if they're not the only provider like this. So their viewpoint is that, look, uh, we don't need to know your email address for verification purposes because you're going to have to pay for the service. So as long as you can pay for the service, we don't care if you have an email on file. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also other ways to sort of deal with the problem, like, for example, not store, not keeping databases of account information alongside the the billing information. Mm, okay. Um, so if you separate the two. Mm. So unless until somebody gives you the information for their their account, you can't renew the like both pieces of information. You can't renew the subscription. I see. Uh, Movad only uh, Movad says this is the first time in its 14 years of wow. operating a VPN that police have issued a search warrant. And company CEO Jan Johnson tells The Verge he doesn't know exactly what they were looking for. Huh. Interesting. Even if I, I wonder, I wonder if uh, the Swedish authorities even knew what they were looking for uh, because like it. it's on behalf of the German authorities. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you think they would they must. But who knows? Yeah, that's interesting. They even, don't even know. Yeah. Even if the authorities had seized its servers, Johnson says that police wouldn't have found anything due to its strict policies against keeping data in a statement to The Verge. Christian. Good for them, by the way. And there's another good reason to do this beyond just trying to help your customers protect their privacy. Another good reason is if you don't have the data, you can't turn it over. And that means that whatever stupid requests that the government's going to make, you know, they're going to issue subpoenas to you saying, give us all the blah, blah. Sorry, I don't have anything to give you. Yep. So that's a, that's a time saver, right? Because yep. otherwise, if you have the data, then you got to have an employee go on the task of digging up the information, printing it out, and then sending it, all, whatever stupid nonsense you have to do to jump through those hoops. If you don't have the data, you just like, quick, quick little letter. Sorry, we don't have that. Have a nice day. Time saved. It, Money it, saved. It really is. Um, and, you know, what's interesting is that there was um, there was a data regulation act, actually, at one point in Europe. And I think it got overturned, if I recall. Um, and basically, that required providers like VPN providers and ISPs to log your traffic. Um, so kind of interesting hmm. note because um, that's no longer the case. Uh, Christian, a spokesman for the Sweden's National Operations Department, says that members of the Swedish Cybercrime Center 
operating under the Swedish police authority executed the search warrant in response to a European investigation order concerning a serious cybercrime. So mm. it doesn't say Germany here, but I think it was Germany that was on behalf of. Uh, declined to comment any further, citing uh, local legislation and the fact that this isn't a Swedish investigation. We filed in peculiar. We find it peculiar that the National Operations Department of the Swedish police make this search warrant visit now for the first time in our 14 year history. Johnson tells the verge they should know by now how our service works. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that. Yeah, you would think that in sometime in the last 14 years that a letter would have been sent to them requesting information and they would have declined it because they don't have the well, information. They know, would have learned that. It's it's kind of a bigger thing. Like this is the th- this is the thing with governments, law enforcement and uh you know judges, lawyers is that they assume that the internet works a certain way and their their understanding of how the internet works is actually flawed mm. because they think like an IP address is a person, right? And it's not no. a person. It's not a, even a household. An IP address is just it's 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 a means of routing data. Mm-hmm. And in many countries, as I pointed out earlier, you might have a whole country behind a single IP address. It's crazy. So, you know, this I, this assumption that they make in many cases when it comes to, you know, issuing warrants and things of that nature it's just it's it's entirely flawed i want to go to the phones here we can continue with the story uh sam is on the line in ohio go ahead sam just curious if we had any news about the debt ceiling um supposedly rumor has it there's a handshake deal it will be barely any kind of cut to spending likely and they will, of course raise the debt limit so i mean that's there's rumors but i don't know going to be the whole is it going to be the whole scam? We negotiated it for three months, and we're going to renegotiate it again. Oh, uh, I mean, of course, there there's always going to be a another debt ceiling. So when they raise it, there'll be a new ceiling, and then once they reach that or get close to that new ceiling, there'll be more negotiations. They'll act like they're not right. going to do it, and then they'll do you know they'll come to an agreement at the there's down nothing, to the wire. Is there any news behind that handshake deal of like how long people think? that that'll last before we have to go through this whole hand-wringing circus again. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think that everything is still up in the air to some extent. I'm just kind of scanning through one of the stories about this right now as you ask the question. Um, but it's not, you know, it's it's not all written down, I don't think, at this point. They're... I can't really say, Sam. I wish I had. I wish I had more for you. But rest assured, these people will continue the operation of the federal government because that is in their both of their interests, which is to say, to control you and to rule you and to extract uh, violently extract obedience and uh, money from you and value from you. So I mean, they will find a way to keep this thing moving forward. Just the only thing that it, we don't know right now are the details. Oh. Uh, and then the other thing I was thinking about, banking problems. Anything news on that? No, I haven't heard any banks failing in uh, in recent days or the last couple of weeks. I'm sure if we'd heard something, we would have brought that to you, Sam. Anything else? Well, no, not that I can think of. Just the fact of that. Seems like Rome is burning. Thank you for the call tonight. I appreciate hearing from you. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. If there's any kind of news about that um, and you want to share it, maybe we haven't heard it yet, you're welcome to join the show. 603-283-6160. Um, I was trying to remember what Peter St. Ange's video was about today. 
really enjoy his content. If you want to follow kind of the latest on what's going on with the U.S. economy, then he's definitely the guy to follow on social media. Professor Peter St. Ange, I believe his Twitter account is Prof St. Ange, uh, does a great little three-minute long, three, four-minute long summary of sort of the last 24 hours events. The guy does it seven days a week, Ooh. as a matter of fact. So appreciate That's his dedication. De- yeah, appreciate his dedication to that. Uh, and he's also got a podcast out now, so you can... Like once a week, he combines all of his three, four minute things together into one MP3 file and shoots that out. Uh, so check him out. All right, there's more coming up here in moments. You can join the show. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. Phones are open here. You can join the show. The number is 603-283-6160. we got the latest court filing in the library case, uh, something we've been following pretty closely here on Free Talk Live in the last couple of years. LBRY.com. We'll get into that story coming up here in a moment. We've been talking about privacy on the Internet and uh, this VPN over in Sweden that was actually raided by the Swedish police, cops went away empty-handed after they realized that this particular VPN didn't store any logs, so there wasn't any data for the cops to take. CNN and Chris in the studio here tonight. You can join us online, of course, over at freetalklive.com and enjoy the various different features that we have for you. And I also want you to know that this hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending, and in addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have what is called a decentralized autonomous organization. They did it first. They paved the way for what is now a fairly popular concept. These DAOs, uh, as, as uh, they're called, are, are very, very ubiquitous in the crypto scene. Uh, In the case of Dash, every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. And then anybody that's got one Dash, which right now is just above 40 bucks for one Dash, they can put forward a proposal to uh, what are called the Dash masternodes. Now, masternodes are people that are running a certain program that helps the Dash network do specific tasks. And they get rewarded for that. But they also have to, you know, pay to run the nodes. And so the Dash Masternodes get a vote on these proposals. They vet the proposals. They decide which ones move forward and get funded by that 10% treasury. In fact, that's how we got this sponsorship. And and again, DAOs are very, very popular now. Dash paved the way by doing it first nearly a decade ago, and it's still going strong. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and to use Dash. You can start by learning more at dash.org and big thanks to the dash decentralized autonomous organization for sending us 32 dash per month to promote dash on the air here on free talk live you can visit dash.org to learn about dash that is dash.org let's go to the phones here and then we can talk a little bit more about sweden because my memory was that sweden was pretty privacy friendly and according to the story i've got here that may still be true uh but alu axelman is on the line with us here from libertyblock.com hello alu Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I'm listening to the show from last night with you and Jay, which is always fantastic. And Jamie has some good points about credit cards versus cash. I yeah. obviously agree that cash allows for more freedom, privacy, uh, anonymity, and uh, independence. 
Um, you mentioned that with credit cards, the big banks or whoever supplies the credit cards finds value in it because they can harvest that data. I don't know exactly how oh, yeah. they get, but I'll tell you one creepy story that I discovered started happening three, four or five years ago. Hmm. I I paid with a credit card at some random store. I think I was in Carolina visiting my brother, a store I've never been to, and I got an email receipt. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a little disturbing. How is my email connected to my credit card? So you didn't give um, the store your email address, but nope. they emailed you a receipt? Nope, exactly. And it wasn't like just an email like from Chase. It was like an email like from whatever, North Carolina bagels. Like, Whoa. You know, over, like, and over you had never been to this store before. No, no. Okay. So I, let me speculate here. I, I bet what they did was there's a database where they're logging a hash of the credit card number, uh, and then they're assigning that an email address, and then another store may not even be the same chain mm, is using they're tied into the same they're hashing database. that credit card number, looking up the hash, and a, pulling the email address to be able to send you an email, even though you wow. didn't provide it. Uh oh, we lost we lost that sentence there, Alu. Can you say that again? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. The other thing is during the January 6th intervention, mm-hmm. Bank of America uh, volunteered. They weren't even after. Ooh, unfortunately, you're in a pretty bad uh, cell there. You're saying something about Bank of America regarding January 6th. One more, one more shot. Yeah. Bank of America voluntarily gave a lot of the data to the feds around the, the January. Oh, yeah. Of course they any, did. Any customer who was... Um, buying anything from a gun store or was in the D.C. area within wow. that entire time frame. They gave to the feds so that they could target them. Without a warrant. You're just saying they just said, oh, yeah. we're going to help you. They voluntarily gave mm-hmm. it up. Uh, this is exactly why uh, people should be using things like cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. uh, because they give you an opportunity to put to put a distance between you know yourself and potentially other malicious actors that want to use your information against you. Like the banks yep. and governments. Yep. Yeah. Great point. Disturbing story, Alu. Anything else you want to share? Yeah, I, I spoke to Aaron Day today, and he's running for president. He's a great free stater, a great longtime liberty activist, and yeah. he's writing a book. It's coming out very soon. I believe it's called Countdown. It's going to be all about all of this stuff and how we can avoid mass tyranny. Um, and he focuses a lot on CBDCs, crypto, privacy, real money, ending the Fed, bank runs. So that book's going to be fantastic. So I want you to pick it up once that comes out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I know Aaron reached out to me as well, and I think he's going to send a PDF over so we can check it out and then have him on to talk about it. So look forward to Great. that. And in other news, um, we just hit publish on two of my audiobooks, all both recorded by two different voluntarists, cool. narrators, um, Articles of Secession and Blueprint for Liberty. Um, so that'll be three audiobooks finally up online. Excellent. And people can go to learn more about those at libertyblock.com? Yes, sir, and AuloAxelman.com and Amazon. Very cool. I uh, appreciate your call tonight, man. Thanks for uh, for dialing in. Thanks so much. Alu Axelman from LibertyBlock.com. Great independence activist here in New Hampshire as well. Should be One an of the best. Yeah, for sure. Uh, should be an interesting weekend for independence here in New Hampshire. There's going to be a plane flying over uh, the most populated cities in New Hampshire tomorrow at some point. I don't have the exact schedules i don't know when people will be able to look to the sky but if you're in uh, nashua manchester or concord new hampshire tomorrow you should see some kind of little plane flying around with a lengthy banner uh, attached to it that will be all about 
peaceful secession. So we will see. I'm looking forward to hopefully somebody. <laughs> hopefully somebody can get a good picture of this thing. Uh, they got a good camera to uh, to get that shot. That would be great. We'll tell you more about that tomorrow. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Keene was not one of the uh, cities, correct? Keene is not one of the top uh, I didn't think populated so, cities. Yeah, I mean, are you gonna, if you're going to spend five hundred dollars an hour, no, no, <laughs> no, I totally understand why. I, yeah. I, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just thinking like, is there any way I could get out there and get a picture? No. But it's it's going to be like an hour minimum each yeah, you way. Need to be in the it'd big be a cities. challenge. Uh, so we were talking about uh, we're talking about security. We're talking about uh, VPNs and. You had shared a story about a Swedish VPN called Molvad. Molvade? Molvad? Molvad. They uh, were raided by the Swedish police. The police had to walk away because Molvad does not log their customers' actions, and they have no logs to turn over to the police. So when the cops came in with whatever weapons they had, they had to walk out without any computers or any data because the data didn't exist. And it made me wonder about, you know, was Sweden one of these privacy protecting countries? That was what was in my head. You said maybe it was Switzerland and maybe it is also Switzerland. But according to uh, another competing. I, I think Iceland is, is one of the big ones, if I recall. Could Switzerland be. might be too, but I'm not sure. The, Switzerland is definitely or was in the past when it came to secret bank accounts. And, and yeah, so that changed that, though. Yeah, that's not so much the case anymore. But yep. I'm not sure about the, the privacy as far as the the data but i think they also may be that too so now this just to be be clear this article is a little old it's from 2016 so what has changed in the last several years i don't know but at the very least this does give you the impression uh that sweden is a fairly privacy centric place compared to other governments in the world this is actually coming from another vpn competitors website which is expressvpn which is not an advertiser. Just I just had, you know, looking for information about Swedish privacy, and this is what came up. It says Sweden has a long history of privacy laws. As early as 1973, it became the first country in the world to enact a comprehensive statute that protects the privacy of personal data on computers. Sweden's commitment to privacy is so enshrined that when the EU passed a 2006 data retention directive, yep, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> the Swedish government decided not to play ball. The directive required EU states to ensure that all national Internet service providers retain logs of their customers for their purposes of, quote unquote, investigation and prosecution. This data was required to be kept for a minimum of six months, and the mass harvesting was to begin no later than September 15, 2007. Fast forward to 2010, and after three years of feet dragging, Sweden was taken to court by the European Commission because they had yet to implement the directive. The European Commission sought a fine for every day that Sweden had not had the law in place. Obviously, the court action was a kick up the backside, and the Swedish government has towed the line ever since. Just kidding, says uh, the author here. Of course they haven't. It would take a further two years of Sweden clinging to Lady Liberty, screaming, don't wanna, not gonna, before anything changed. The requirement was finally put into place in 2012. But not before Sweden was forced to pay a hefty three million euro Oof. fine to the European Commission. Uh, you know, this just is a good reason to point out why you don't want to be part of a union or the, like be at the United right. States or part of the European Union. Being part of these unions, they come with strings attached. Oh, yeah. Big and this time. is the same reason why people were so uptight about the masks or taking money from the U.S. federal government in New Hampshire over the masks. Right. It's because they had strings attached. Yeah, exactly right. Good reason to secede peacefully yep. from 
whatever these organizations are. The lengthy delay was caused by arguments over how best to balance privacy laws and the desire to combat crime. Uh, but balance? This, There's no balance. Yeah. You've just eliminated privacy if you're requiring them to log. However, the dance didn't end there. In 2014, the Court of Justice of the European Union invalidated the data retention directive. Ah, so I was right. The court found it seriously interfered with human rights. So pretty much as soon as the ruling was announced, Banhoff, which is one of Sweden's leading ISPs, started destroying all the data they were obligated to hold. Banhoff CEO uh, John Carlung also said that Banhoff would stop retaining new data immediately. Of course, so you know what I'm wondering though is so when they have these directives in Europe, mm-hmm. it it's the states that are obligated to then implement them into law into local law. I would right. think that just because the Swedish Swedish or I'm sorry, the European Union directive was overturned at the European level, the law would still exist in Sweden that they passed. I don't know how all that works. I don't either, but I would think that the law would still exist until the Swedish government, you know, threw it out. It doesn't sound like uh, the ISP in this case gave a damn about that because they said here they just immediately started deleting well, the data. Right. And which is what makes me wonder uh, what the story is, if, if, if that is, in fact, the case, because that's what I would think would be the case. If you live in Europe and you know, you can call us up here at 603-283-6160. Uh, so the EU demanded that Bonhoff had to start harvesting data again, but the Swedish government had no intention of forcing them to do so. Sweden started its internet existence the right way, and it seems like the country is prepared to stand its ground to keep it that way. In the 1990s, the public was just getting on board with the internet, but they weren't really sure what to do with it. In the early days, it was very much like Tor is now. It's wild, it was wild and free, but if you wanted to go to a specific website, you had to remember the whole URL address. And sometimes they were really long. Remember the GeoCities chat groups? Uh, I don't. <laughs> it required a Darren Brown-esque display of mental prowess just to even turn up at the right place. Search engines eventually add, arrived to add a structure that made sense to people. Algorithms indexed the content of the internet, making making it accessible to everyone who could type a word or two into a search bar. But it was Google who emerged as everyone's de facto homepage. Google controlled 65% of internet searches, and this was in 2016, I think it's higher than that now, and their influence is staggering. Naturally, this doesn't give them a free pass in Sweden. When Google Apps breached the nation's privacy laws, they were promptly banned, because the first rule of the internet in Sweden is you don't mess with the internet in Sweden. They say Uh, Sweden adopted the Internet early due to standing regulations that promoted competition across the country. That meant that Internet access costs were and still are way below the global average. The take up was so high that the government started to move its services online long before any other even thought about it. In 2003, Sweden created the first Internet Task Force, which in turn came up with the Sweden Electronic Communications Act of 2003. The act was aimed at ensuring private individuals, legal entities, and public authorities had secure and efficient access to the Internet. Not only were they looking to protect users, but also make the Internet more robust and accessible. I don't know if the government can do those things. But uh, in 2008, when everyone else was still buying their books from real bookshops, Sweden headed the UN's e-government readiness test because, of course, they did. They've been doing it for five years already. And then they addressed the Tor network here. Uh, Tor has taken the crown from computer games as the go-to scapegoat of choice for lazy politicians looking to overreact about something. The Tor network is the anonymous, uncategorized service 
that you may know as the dark web, but it's not just full of criminals and girls with dragon tattoos. It's where the discerning internet user goes when they don't want to be spied upon. Coupled with a VPN service, Tor is, well, utterly impenetrable is what they claim, but we know that uh, the U.S. government and other governments around the world have managed to take down many a darknet website, including virtually all of the Silk Road competitors that have come up since they arrested Ross Ulbricht back in the day. So I well, wouldn't say it's <clears throat> impenetrable. So, so it, it, I think there's I think there's a little bit of, how it says, uh, you have, kind of have to put a sort of a, a couple additional words in there, and that is Tor has Tor has not been broken for the most part. It's the applications that you use with Tor. Mm. So depending on your setup, you are potentially protected with Tor still. It's just that most a lot of people were not using Tor in the most secure fashion. Fair enough. Well, that said, people are getting screwed over pretty royally. So I mean, just Tor itself may be good, but it's still hard to know exactly how all this it uh, can governments be, are. It, it can give a false sense of security. Yeah. Yeah. Researchers from the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory developed Tor as a safe way to transmit U.S. intelligence around the world. The reasons for opening Tor up to the public uh, are as schizophrenic as they are genius. Despite being Tor's loudest critic, the U.S. remains its largest contributor, closely followed by Sweden. A branch of the Swedish government, SIDA, has a goal of promoting, quote, internet freedom for global development. But why do the Swedish uh, care so much about not just their own privacy, but the rest of the world, too? And then they get into... Uh, about the Nazis. They say it all began long before the internet existed. In 1766, Sweden became the first country to introduce a constitutional law which abolished censorship and guaranteed freedom of the press. The press were allowed to report without hindrance and people could speak their minds without fear of reproach, which that I did not know. Uh, you know, normally the United States gets all the credit for having the First Amendment, but that came after 1766. Yeah. So very interesting. And, and, you know, I think that the United States gets a little too much credit sometimes, um, especially because there's this thing called copyright. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, it's not free speech. <laughs> that at all, undermines right? that, that very um, it's in the Constitution. There's a reference to copyright, basically. Mm. And, um, you know, it undermines the very First Amendment rights that you've got. So, hmm. Yeah. And the courts in recent years have effectively ruled to that effect even though the constitution only references copyright it isn't it isn't in theory it should not be it should not be at the same pl- level as the first amendment because effectively the first amendment is in the constitution whereas it simply says that the law may be created effectively in regard to copyright mm. so you would think first amendment would still trump copyright law you would think but that's but not no. how the courts have ruled The Nazis then showed up. The Nazis pressured Sweden not to publish anything which made the Third Reich look bad. In a move which must must have had him rubbing his hands and cackling with evil glee, the German Minister of Justice at the time dug up an old Swedish law which prohibited offensive writings against a foreign state. A law presumably introduced because Sweden is lovely and didn't want to be rude. Many Swedish authors and publishers fell foul of this blatant misuse of power. Tour Nerman got three months in prison for an anti-Hitler column, and Israel Holmgren had his book The Nazi Hell pulped after he was locked up for writing it, of course. In a magnificent bit of ballsy defiance, Holmgren immediately republished the book upon release from prison, though with a new ironic title, The Nazi Paradise. 
After World War II, the Swedish changed and deleted the old censorship laws, lest any future fascist dictator try to turn their own politeness against them again. A new privacy charter was drawn up, which means today there's absolutely no censorship in Sweden at all. As suggested by the SIDA program mentioned earlier, Sweden doesn't just take care of themselves. Internet privacy is a global concern, after all. When WikiLeaks and Edward Snowden dropped the snoop bomb on the world, which, by the way, was a decade ago that that happened, it was Swedish ISP Bahnhof, the same provider who destroyed their customer records, mentioned earlier, that Julian Assange trusted to keep the whistleblowing documents safe. Assange specifically mentioned the Swedish Constitution, which gives total legal protection to information providers as a factor in his decision to host his files there. Also, the servers were installed in a secret underground mountain bunker, <laughs> and if you're going to take on the world's government, That's a PR stunt. <laughs> you might as well get yourself a sweet lair. The Swedish approach to privacy and freedom of speech was instrumental in getting the word out there. We had no idea as to the scale of the snooping laws or the snooping until WikiLeaks showed us. Thanks to a brave few individuals, big governments have been rumbled and exposed. And then finally, they say, Why is Sweden at the forefront of the Internet and its laws? There's no single reason, but the kingdom has a long and proud history of free speech. I didn't know it was a kingdom either. And their torrid time next to Nazi Germany no doubt strengthened their desire to stick it to the man. The early adoption of the World Wide Web meant Sweden... Uh, created an infrastructure while most countries were still waiting for mom to get off the phone so we could plug in our modem. Perhaps there's, a, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps there's a sense in Sweden that they were there first and they want to keep it like it used to be. The well-endowed government got involved early, long before it was all about the spying, controlling, and selling. They did it right in the innocent days, back when email was just a good idea to save paper and no Nigerian prince desperately wanted you to give, uh, wanted to give you free money. The rules were in place before the system got corrupted. Simply, the internet in Sweden started right, and now they don't want to go backward. And why should they? The people that work in the Swedish government today grew up with the system. They don't know another way, and their way works. Sweden has consistently been a vocal proponent of innocent or of, uh, internet privacy and the true internet to boot. The internet without censorship as it is meant to be. This is the internet that was supposed to be for everyone. So, a nice little puff piece there for Sweden. Although, like I said, it is a little bit old. I don't know what the current status is. If you do, maybe things have changed since 2016 out there, uh, and you want to weigh in, feel free. We've got Shortwave Surfer on the line here uh, calling us on our SIP line at sip.freetalklive.com. You can get the instructions on how to call in. Go ahead, Shortwave Surfer. Hey, it would seem uh, um, to me that the best thing to do would be to host a darknet market on Tor via an IPFS because then it couldn't be taken down because the website itself would just be a hash somewhere and anybody can access the hash just like Tornado Cash. So yeah, IPFS, I, we're getting a little bit, uh, we need to kind of explain terminology here. Uh, IPFS, as I understand it, is a decentralized web hosting system. Is that right? It's a, it's a decentralized file system, so you can put any file you want there. Mm -hmm. So you can put up HTML and stuff like that for a website and then just reference it for a tour, a tour it, URL. You know what else actually um, is is potential benefit of that too is that Tor, you need to be, uh, in order to access an Onion site, you need to be connected to Tor. Um, That's right. But with IPFS, there are, generally you go through what's called a gateway, and there's all these gateways all over the place. And so that's actually a really, really, really good idea. 
So running IPFS over over Tor. Tor. So basically, you're um, yeah, exactly. So you're running IPFS on Tor. You're routing it through Tor, mm-hmm. uh, and but people can access it through the normal web, like any browser, simply by going really? to the IPFS address. Uh, the, all, and, and if one particular you don't gateway need special soft, it, hold on, you don't need special software to go to an IPFS. Well, you need a I've gateway. Done, so. You need a gateway to access an IPFS address. Uh, unless you're running IPFS itself. I see. But I see. there's lots of gateways these out are, there. These are websites that you can go to? Yes. Okay. So they're websites. So mm-hmm. you'd go to, like, uh, I'm trying to think. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Like, I don't know, like, pump dot. I don't think I pump.io, but. Has one. Say what? Say like again? You could just go to the IPFS. I want to say the IPFS main site has one. It does. Go to the IPFS mm-hmm. like, yeah, is it like IPFS.io or something like that? Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's like if you go to IPFS.io and then mm-hmm. forward slash, like, basically like a hash of the website you're trying to access, yeah. you'll get to the website. If IPFS.io blocks it, um, you just go to a different gateway and use that same hash to I get see. to it. Yeah, I, uh, for all the time I've heard about IPFS, I've actually never taken the time to really explore it. And it's pretty... Check it out. It, yeah, it's it hasn't... It's sort of popular, but it's still kind of getting off the ground, I think. Uh, Shortwave Surfer, is there more you wanted to share? That's all. Thanks for the call tonight. I appreciate it. The number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. You can bring up absolutely anything you want to discuss to control the airwaves. Coming up, we'll get into the library latest from the courts on the way. Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything you want to talk about here as we kick off the third hour of the show. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Here in the studio tonight, it's Ian and Chris. You can join us online over at freetalklive.com. Enjoy the various features that we have waiting for you there. Once again, that is freetalklive.com. I've got the latest filing in the library case. We're not going to read the whole thing. It's seven pages long, but we'll give you some highlights uh, coming up here about... First, we'll give you a clue as to what the case is all about in case you've never heard of library or you don't know what's been going on in the last few years for them. Uh, It's not good news, generally. And... uh, but it's not over yet entirely, so we'll see where this thing can go from here. But first, we go to the phones here. Dave Ridley is on the line uh, from RidleyReport.com. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, you caught me with my pants down. I have. Oh, no. uh, I was trying to. I was trying to pull up an article, uh, and uh, I thought I had. Luckily, I it's radio, had... so if we catch you with your pants down, it doesn't offend anybody. <laughs> well, uh, different kind of pants down. I, I, I was. I thought I had this article on my computer, and I don't have it. I was going to talk talk to you about what was on this article. But have you seen the NH Journal article about uh, NH exits? Um, uh, aerial banner? Yes, actually. I actually just pulled it up as you called in because I figured <laughs> that's what you wanted to talk about. When, when was this? When did this get posted? Because uh, I, it came out yesterday. Oh, I, I hadn't seen it yet. I hadn't seen it until um, today after I spoke with the uh, the guy who wrote the author, Damian Fisher, and he had already gone to press before he talked to me. So the article had said that Freeman couldn't be reached for comment it has now been updated with uh, with my comments, which I hadn't even know. I didn't know that had happened yet, so I, I'm just now seeing this 
sort of the, the newer version of it for the first time. It's a bit of a slanted story. Of course as it is. <laughs> Damian Fisher is uh, is want to do, but uh, the headline, for instance, is convicted Bitcoin money launderer oh now wants now now wants New Hampshire to secede. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the the whole the whole NH exit thing has been going on like a decade. Okay. NH it's just exit. ramped up in recent yeah. years. Yeah. Just it happened to coincide with the and the Fed. If anything, us. people responded to you know what happened with the crypto six thing. It, it it's the result of a lot of people supporting NH exit now. But it has nothing to do with, yeah, like yeah. The term NH exit, <laughs> I mean, didn't really take off for the last couple of years. Until the last couple of years, the foundation for New Hampshire independence, of course, has been around for more than a decade at right. this point. And I have been advocating for them for a very, very long time. I've been, I've handed out thousands of their flyers personally over the last decade. Uh, so to say that it that only now <laughs> right? that i've been convicted uh that i want to secede from the united states ridiculous but dave uh what well, were you nhx it was started long before you were convicted anyway yeah i think dave you've been uh repping nhx it for some time right yeah i guess it goes back to 2016 it's just a, it's an off you know it's a sort of a child of brexit in a sense right yeah so what uh, were your comments on this uh this story what? Well, it was just the, the headline itself is so interesting. How, you know, he's, he's he's so this reporter is just so eager to hmm, how can I push this just as far as I can <laughs> without making a full blown libelous complete factual error? How can I make a factual error that's just implied, right? Yeah. <laughs> so mm. you know, when when he says that you know uh, you just now it's like he makes it, he's implying that you just now support independence. Because of the fact that you were targeted, right? That's what it. That's what the the headline is meant to imply, right? Without well, and, quite. And Ridley, you're the one who got it off the ground. You're the one who started it. You're the one who instigated it, not you. <laughs> well, to be fair, Dave is interviewed in the piece, so Dave okay. gets, uh, gets a couple of comments. Uh, Dave said, uh, "Washington is the reason we can't have nice things." He's quoted as saying in the story. And he does. Uh, he did quote you as saying, Dave, at that uh, quote. In part, in part, this is a reaction to federal raids on New Hampshire's Bitcoin businesses. So maybe yeah, I mean, the whole idea with independence is it's supposed to be like a, a gas tank, and whenever the federal government does something, you turn that into a gallon of gasoline and you put it in your gas tank, right? Uh, and uh, over time, in theory, they start not handing you that. They stop. They stop doing things like that that help fill the gas tank. Does that make sense? Mm. He did update the story here to say Freeman said Friday the plane has nothing to do with his convictions and is not sure what Ridley is talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't That's sound like a direct quote, was it? <laughs> What's That's that? Another Dave? thing that he likes to that he likes to do is kind of make it look like we're all internally fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, but I, no, I think it's well. It's obviously connected in the sense you're. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. But my understanding is you're. You know, you're taking advantage of these last, you know, few weeks or months of freedom, and spending some money on you know just kind of going out with a blaze that it, it related and, and so the conviction is very closely related to the to the. Um, uh, to the aerial banner in my mind, but correct me. If no, I I think it just is coincidental. Honestly, yeah. I mean, the, the whole new New Hampshire exit thing happened to really take off after the Crypto Six raid. 
it was 2021 when Crypto6 raids happened uh, against us. For listeners that don't know, you can go to the Crypto6.com. You can watch the raid video and learn more about the what they uh, they did to us. But it was that summer uh, that you had called the show, Dave, to uh, talk about, you know, what can we do to move this thing forward? And then Aria and I said, well, you know, we can put up some money to help you move this thing forward. And then we found some state reps that wanted to put forward a bill to allow people to vote on you independence. Know, I mean, you know, you know, I've been involved just in fell this. into place. You know, I, I've been involved in this, too, from, from the beginning. And, you know, the way I'm looking at it, not not the decade, but I mean, like, uh, you know, you know, the last five years. Yeah. But um, the um, if you look at like the progression of things, I think you can attribute the support going from zero reps willing to support New Hampshire independence to 13 to the FBI raids involving the crypto six. But that had nothing to do with you supporting, you know, uh, independence because you supported independence long before that. Yeah, that that's definitely true. I mean, I, I've always been somebody who puts whatever money that I have available behind activism. That's certainly nothing new. Uh, we were just discussing during the break, Chris, that I was the executive producer of Derek J's vic- yep. victimless crime spree, and that was done before. I don't. I don't even think I had any Bitcoin at that point in my life. That would have been like 2011 that we were we were producing that movie. It came out in tw- in 2012. So, you know, I, I, if I had any Bitcoin then, it would have been a scant amount, and it would have been worth anything. So, certainly, um, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to put, yeah, put it, good money behind good activism. Under Ian's list of activism, this is one in a long laundry list of uh things um and it, it's not what i don't even think it's been that significant by comparison to to just you know other other projects that you've done yeah the good news about the um the liberty movement and specifically the secession movement here is that there are multiple groups that are involved in this so as much as damian fisher here the journalist is trying to portray me as you know the leader or whatever it is or as the front man don't they always uh, love this? to do that portray you as some sort of like god it's it's it, it's really funny which is the same reason the fbi is so interested in you is because yeah. they have this perception that you're like behind the whole free state project even though you're not i mean i've been around for a long time so and i've I got a radio show so i'm visible i've got freekeen.com which and that's is one a, of the reasons they don't like you a noteworthy uh <laughs> website a blog site up here but you know, there's a lot of great organizations here, including the Foundation for New Hampshire Independence, the NHI PAC, which is the political and, and things action that you committee. have nothing to do with, right? Yeah, I'm not on the boards of any of yep. either of those organizations. That's uh, that's for sure. Uh, anyway, go ahead, uh, Ridley. So you've got the article in front of me, and I don't. Uh, so what what else in there is amusing? Because I, I only read about the first third of it before I archived it and said, "Oh, I need to call in about this," and then then I lost it. I mean, it's just, you know, kind of drags me through the mud as uh, as it typically does, where it kind of brings up all the allegations in the Crypto 6 case and uh, talks about how, you know, what the prosecutors had to say about me, all the allegations that, of course, I've been found guilty of by a quote-unquote jury of my peers. So because the jury found me guilty, the media gets to call me a money launderer, well, if, right? Like if, that's, if you're found guilty, you must you must, must be, it, you right? must be guilty, right? That's, what, that, that's <laughs> legally, that's <laughs> what they get to say. It's legally true, but not yeah. necessarily actually true. Correct. But everybody's found guilty now. <laughs> Seems like it. Yeah. At the federal, at the federal level. Yeah, much. I mean, if you look at the statistics, it's something like 98% of people plead guilty, and those who take it to trial is something like 78% get found guilty. So it's not necessarily the case that just because somebody has been convicted of something that they actually are guilty of something. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't yeah, say there's there's yeah, a lot of here that's... that's another, go ahead. 
that's yet another grievance that uh, is or should be part of what's driving us toward independence. I mean, your case is just littered with grievances, that any one of which would justify independence. No doubt. And they will continue to, to provide us with reason after reason uh, to justify independence. And, you know, right now it isn't uh, popular. He did ask me and he put a, one of the quotes in here, the article where I said, right now it's not very realistic. Uh, that is to say, independence. Oh, no. uh, and, and there's a long way to go to change people's minds. There are a lot of questions that will need to be answered uh, this is one of the things that I said to him that he included here in the story. So, I mean, I, th- I would say it's a better story now than it was uh, when he first published it because he didn't have comments from me in there previously. But, you know, the end of the whole end of the story, like the last half of the story has nothing to do with the uh, with secession or the airplane. And it's just <laughs> a recap of Crypto 6. And then further, uh, he talks about how I got banned from the Free State Project uh, or not formally distanced yeah. itself from Freeman due to I advocated the lowering of the age of consent. Yeah. So, I mean, just dra- dragging everything out, essentially. And this is, I think somebody else put this as shooting the messenger. I, I, freak, I think this was on social media mm. because, okay, yeah, secession bad. Look, Ian Freeman's involved with it, right? <laughs> like, that's what they're trying well, to do. It, it, it was neat to see that, the, you know, the response to that is just the, the guy's just turning you into, into a martyr. And the, the movement, it seemed like all the liberty actors were just rallying around you on the Internet. But you know, as someone who, like, you know, I, I technically survived, the, you know, the secession crises in the Balkans, bits and pieces of them. You know, I was there for part of it. And the, the thing that people don't understand is how fast uh, independence goes from zero to sixty. Um, there, people just weren't thinking about it in Slovenia, yeah. and then all of a sudden they were independent. Uh, wow. And same thing in Croatia, same thing in Bosnia. All three of these places came out slightly ahead of where they would have been if they hadn't declared independence um, against this genocidal regime in Belgrade. Uh, and again, the Belgrade government made it happen. They made it possible. Otherwise, Yugoslavia would still be together. And that's what the feds are going to do. They're going to make it impossible to, to be in the same country with them. That can't happen soon enough. I agree. Uh, and and part the whole point of this uh, airplane that we're going to be doing, which is, uh, again, an aerial banner. I don't know if we really talked about the details on that, but it's going to fly over uh, Concord and Nashua and Manchester tomorrow for several hours uh, in, in total. So it's going to be a, a long flight. And uh, the point is to raise awareness because a lot of people don't know about secession. They don't know that there was... Uh, a movement or that there is a movement they don't know that there was a bill last year a lot of people are completely in the dark about this so they're going to be able to look up at the sky and they'll be able to see a positive message about it i don't know if we want to talk about the statistics from the the polling done yet but i will say this much i was surprised at the percentage of the population that had actually heard about CACR 32 which is the bill for independence that that was. I don't know if they heard about the bill number specifically but I understood they heard about that there was something something about independence yeah. that's you know the the percentage is shockingly high if you ask me I'm I'm not shocked by it I really? you're referring to the fact that there's 50% of people had heard nothing and the other 50% had a varying heard something like some people heard yeah. a lot about it I some mean, people heard a little bit about it some people heard not people much people heard anything about it yeah you it know, wasn't very well covered. I mean, that's it, for sure. Right. It was pretty much it, ignored. It, it, it got. It, I mean, more people. If that's if up to fifty percent heard something, even 
that's a lot of coverage, I think. For- it is. It is. I mean, the, you do have to wonder about these surveys because obviously the people who take these surveys are people that want to take surveys. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so uh, somebody who wants to take a survey is probably more likely to be politically connected than somebody who isn't or at least paying attention to the mm. news. Uh, maybe that's maybe there's a factor in there for that. I suspect uh, you might be the, right because I, I suspect if you did a poll on the street, you won't find that. I wonder about that. Yeah. yeah. Of course, it's harder to do a scientific street poll than to do what you they're know, doing here. But. You know, this whole scientific thing, I, I am, I don't know. It's, this is one of these things where it's like, I, I, I have my, I'm a little bit skeptical, to say the least. Ridley, anything else you want to share tonight? Well, by, by the way, if, if you're feeling bad about being, uh, it, it, you know, given such hostile coverage, uh, that guy actually wrote an article about me and... 2021 when i was doing that bitcoin gandhi thing when i was yeah. dressing up as gandhi to protest your your arrest and marching across the state with right. civil disobedience thing well he wrote an article about that and i mean i've never seen anyone go so far out of their way to like make it look like i was some kind of idiot or uh <laughs> everything <laughs> wow. everything he could find in, in the time that he had he tried to you know to make it look and that is what is there to be against here? I'm just walking down the highway. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just planning on handing out a flyer. Is that really, you know, I know. That no, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's just what to expect. Uh, it's it's what you expect from, uh, you know, the media. I personally don't mind talking to Damian Fisher. You know, if he wants an interview, I'll do an interview. It's it's fine. I don't care. You know, I know it's going to be it's going to be. You'll slanted. talk to the guy writing you know? a hit piece on you. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I just, would, yeah, I would recommend whenever you're doing that, even if it's not Damian Fisher, pretty much anyone you're interacting with, it's a reporter and they call you or whatever, you record that stuff. I mean, even when I'm react, mm. even when I'm talking to Matt, on- I mean, on goals, like, yeah, just make I sure you let them know you're recording it. Otherwise it's a wiretapping yeah. charge. I, I mean, what really a nice, I'm sorry, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, what good though, is that really going to do? Right. Like, so you have the evidence to show that he's a liar, but we already knew that. And it's not like you're going to get the eyeballs, you know, looking at your audio or, or, I guess your ear, the ears listening to your audio because you don't have that audience that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, why I wish it I, weren't why true, but re- why are you recording this interview? Does I'm recording it because does there have to be a reason? <laughs> you absolutely have a right to record uh, an interview. Unfortunately, in uh, New Hampshire, one of the one of the worst parts about New Hampshire is its wiretapping laws. I mean, we like a lot of things about New Hampshire. New Hampshire is definitely the freest state, according to the Freedom in the 50 State study. But the wiretapping laws here are the worst. You uh, legally, as I understand it, you have to inform the people you're talking to that you're recording. And you can't record. It's misdemeanor charge if you record a, a conversation to which you are a party without informing uh, the other the other people it's a felony charge if you record a conversation to which you are not a party without the knowledge of the uh, the people that are involved there now, i'm not a lawyer that's not legal advice but uh it, that's definitely something that needs to get I, changed because even at the national level even yeah the federal laws on wiretapping are better in that if you are a party to the conversation you can record it without telling anyone federally as i, I believe it. there are some nuances to that though um in regards to like if you have a camera in somebody's face that's that's it's obvious that they're being recorded. Yeah, that it's it's um, it's it's uh, oh, I'm trying to think how it would be phrased, but it it's um, it's it's effectively notice in and of itself. 
Yeah, and there's an argument there, and and like you said, it's not real clear in the statute. I agree. Uh, I agree. Things. You probably will have to argue that in front of yeah, a jury. You're probably or, right, or a judge. You're probably right. If they uh, if they decide to take you there. Uh, Ridley, thanks for the call tonight, man. I appreciate hearing from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number here is six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. That's six zero three two eight three six one six zero. You know. Hopefully we're going to see the liberty movement and the secession, the pro-independence, NH exit, whatever you want to call it, movement here become so large at some point that the media won't be able to focus on, oh, Ian Freeman's involved, <laughs> he sold Bitcoin, uh, you know, then that there will be other personalities who they'll be able to focus on. And of course, they will trash those people, too. Yeah. <laughs> but. You know, at least it won't just be me. Uh, let's continue here. Sarah's in New Mexico because it's definitely not just me. I'm just one guy. You know, I just happened to contact these airlines or whatever, these uh, aerial advertising companies and found the cheapest one and yeah. and got into a contract with one of them. Yeah, right? like, you took initiative like on one thing yeah. and like it's all Ian Freeman. It's, right. it's hilarious. Anyone could have done that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live in New Mexico. Go ahead. Okay, so I'm on. I, I got an interesting topic for you. So a woman is suing the Motel 6 here in Albuquerque in Carlisle because she was being raped and human trafficked at the hotel. Oh, boy. And, never, and then how about this? How about none of the employees helped her at all? How would the employees have known? Was it, like, obvious? Like, what, did, did this happen yeah, in the hallway? No, I think they they assaulted her in the um the front lobby or something mm-hmm. to force her or something like that, and then she asked for help. Mm. All the people that worked there, she asked for help. And really? what were they supposed to do? Well, mind their own business so they they don't get messed up by the human traffickers. That's what they did. Mm. So I mean, so, so she's I mean, suing that- the hotel or she's suing the employees individually. Suing the hotel because they got money, right? That's what she wants. She wants the money. Well, she feels like they're um, responsible for um, that. They should have helped, and but did they call nine one one? Did somebody call nine one one? Nobody did. Really? What happened to her? How did she end up getting uh, escape from the grasp of the traffickers? Well, you know something. I do not. I don't have the full detail. And I, I was thinking, if she's that out of it, if she's strung out on drugs, I mean, if she got traffic, how is she able to sue? I, I it, it, it takes intelligence to sue somebody. I mean, well, I presume she's I mean, she's off the drugs and she's out of their their grasp, and that's why she's suing now. Well, I was thinking that Dream Center, maybe. Or she found an attorney. Yeah, she could have found an attorney who has the intelligence and the the time to. You know, bring the lawsuit. I suspect that's part of what's uh, what's going on here. Now, I mean, the question is, does a hotel staff have an obligation to protect the people who are at the hotel? And and we don't know all the details in regards to mm. what did she say exactly to these hotel staff members? I mean, because if you were to say, please help, I'm being, you know, murdered here or raped or or kidnapped or whatever it is that's going on. And someone does nothing. I mean, maybe there is an argument that they should do something. Are they legally obligated to do something? And you know, the other aspect of this is like, 
did the hotel like have a policy on it? And if they didn't, is this something that's like, how is the, how is it the hotel's fault? Because an employee of the hotel didn't do something. something. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, well, the managers or something like that, but it, this is pretty much like state of New Mexico, that human trafficking is so horrible. And the thing is that nobody wants to get involved because there are, people are so afraid of retaliation. So if he did put these people, human traffickers to jail, they'll come out and, and um, stalk you, cook uh, uh, you for being, being involved. Thank you, so Sarah, I, I, for bringing this topic up. I I did pull up a story here. We'll see if we can get, garner any additional information about it. Coming up here, if you want to comment, you're welcome to join us. 603-283-6160. It is Free Talk Live. Talk Live. We got time for you if you want to join the show here. The number is 603-283-6160. And of course, you can bring up absolutely anything you want to discuss. Uh, the number again, 603-283-6160. As we continue here, it's Ian and Chris in the studio tonight. Coming up later this year, our very own Mark Edge is going to be speaking from a conference in Prague, where he will be October 14th and 15th at the Liberty in Our Lifetime Conference. It's taking place uh, at in Prague, and it's the place to go to learn about the free cities, so-called free cities, that they claim will be self-governing territories that uphold individual rights and freedoms. You probably, if you've heard Mark on the show in recent, uh, I guess, months or years, you've heard him talking about the these concepts uh, they're, you know, they're getting off the ground, some of them, and representatives from the projects in the in U.S., Honduras, Germany, and Norway will be sharing updates on their progress and explain why you should consider moving there or doing business in a free city. Mark spoke at last year's conference, and he will be back there again speaking this year. You can join him in Prague October 14th and 15th and save 10% on your tickets by using code FTL over at libertyinourlifetime.org. You can learn more and get your tickets there. Let's go to the phones here. Major Payne is on the line in Michigan. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Major. Yeah, I'm thinking about Sarah's call and these kids that were uh, running the lobby at the Ramada Inn or whatever it was there. I mean, you think about the younger generation. What's the first thing that happens when there's any kind of controversy? They pull out their cell phones, right? Mm -hmm. They don't even want to have a conversation. They talk with their thumbs. Right. You think they're ready to go over there and have a fist fight with these guys? Ain't gonna mm-hmm. happen. Well, I mean, the I think happen. the people that would be advocating. You're referring to the story in Albuquerque about a Motel Six where a woman alleges the hotel staff did nothing to help her, uh, including they didn't call the police when she allegedly, according to the story, allegedly made eye contact with one of the hotel clerks. And mouthed the words, help me, and nothing was done. She's now bringing a lawsuit against the hotel because they didn't do anything. So, uh, I mean, Major, I mean, let me just play devil's advocate here. I mean, shouldn't the hotel clerk have gone ahead and called the police? I mean, that doesn't mean he has to go over there and attack the alleged human traffickers and, and break them away from this woman. But couldn't couldn't the person just have called the cops and let them deal with it? 
Absolutely, they should have called 911. Well, hold on, hold I mean, on. What does she mean by, you know, dragged away, first of all, and mouths? Because the 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 person working there might not have understood what she mouthed, because what does that usually mean? Without audio, right? So if you're yeah. just looking at I can't read people's I mouths. Can't read I can't lips. read what I'm lips, terrible right? at it. Yeah. And, and then, of course, being dragged is was somebody just pulling her on the arm. The claim I mean, is that doesn't she was... necessarily mean to somebody who's watching that she's being uh, forced yeah. against her will. Yeah, that's true. We don't know what it means. You can recognize terror in a person's face now. Come on. Not everybody. Some people can. Some people can't. Well, the claim is she was, quote, physically dragged by her trafficker from the reception office to a room located near the back of Motel 6 in clear view of Motel 6 employees and agents. So, yeah, that that is a good question. Is What does it mean she was physically dragged? Were Where's legs, the video? Were her legs on the ground? Right. It, uh, I, it's one thing if somebody is physically being dragged, right? And it's yeah. another, like an adult you know, woman. And if she's just, oh, somebody is pulling, pulling her, you know, or taking her by her hand and, you know. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. Major, uh, so you're saying that. You think they could have done something here in this case? Uh, you- I think I think they should have done something. Somebody should have done something. If Bruce Willis was behind that desk, he'd <laughs> be dead. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. Uh, and, and apparently the interesting detail on this story that uh, Sarah didn't have was this particular hotel. It's not the first time uh, there was a different woman, 20-year-old Albuquerque woman, Toby Lynn Stanfill, was uh, sued the very same hotel in 2020, alleging negligence on the part of uh, the hotel. She was repeatedly beaten, raped, and enslaved at the Motel 6 days before her death. Sorry, it wasn't her that sued. It was her family. The lawsuit alleges she was found dead, lying face down in a pool of blood at a public park with a gunshot wound to the head. The leader of the sex trafficking ring was sentenced to 17 years in prison after pleading guilty to one count of participating in a sex trafficking ring. And Matthew Woods, uh, described as his enforcer, is serving an 18-year federal sentence. In that case, apparently the hotel paid out uh, and settled that particular case, according to a different story here. So this particular hotel is allegedly, according to the Department of Homeland Security, sort of a known hotel for human traffickers. So this is... Uh, Motel 6 doesn't have a good reputation. I was only brave enough to stay at one once. But I found crack flake remnants around. Yeah. And, you know, the, the TV was bolted down. The, the furniture was bolted down. The only thing that wasn't bolted down was the Gideon Bible in the drawer next to the bed there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is an ugly situation, but I still have to wonder if the individuals here, the the hotel staff, can be held liable for this. I mean, obviously, they're not being sued. It's the, the chain or the owners of the hotel uh, who are being sued. I and- mean- is this is this negligence in that they didn't have a policy on like what to do in the case that they like I want to know where the liability comes from because you're effectively trying to hold somebody liable for the actions of a third party. Or was there even a camera system anywhere in this place? I, I don't is know. there some obligation I mean, for there to be a camera system? Story. I mean, obviously there was a time before cameras. Well, this is recent, but uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, the, in this case, the question is: Is there an obligation to act? Right, not because the hotel staff didn't do anything, but what is their obligation to do but something? Even if there's an obligation for somebody to do something, is that the hotel? Right, and obviously, an employee of the hotel sh- maybe should have acted should for moral have. reasons sure. or even legal reasons. But 
it, it it's not clear to me that the hotel you know the person who owns the hotel the shareholders should somehow be liable because an employee you know didn't do something right how can you know what an employee is going to do in any given right like what contributed what contributed to to these rapes go ahead major all they had to do was hit the fire alarm or something i mean come on but i got i got a dog to fight with you here and you say you've never been on a debate team i think we should debate <laughs> that <laughs> okay I, I think you are the president of a debate team. You're on a debate every No, night. this isn't a debate show. This is a, an opinion show. There's a panel discussion here. People here have different opinions. Debate is a structured thing. Uh, you know, people take turns. They have a specific amount of time uh, with which to speak. There's a, a judge. There's an audience. There's a vote before and Man, after. Now, this now is not a debate. debate. Of, now we got to debate the definition of a debate. That's cute, Major Payne. Thank you for the call tonight, man. I appreciate it. Uh, if you want to comment here, you can join us. The number is 603-283-6160. So the woman in this case has not been identified. The case has been filed as a Jane Doe so far. And uh, again, she claims she made eye contact, hoping that would stress her desperation and mouth the words, help me. And certainly if an employee is at a scuzzy hotel, right? let's just say this is a scuzzy, low-life, low-rent hotel. That's what it sounds like, right? They're saying here in the story mm. that the Department of Homeland Security says this hotel has long been used by traffickers, human traffickers, as a hotbed. So there have been other instances, including another lawsuit a few years ago, so, like, this sounds like a place where you're going to find some real low-life characters. And these people are dangerous, right? If your job is to just check somebody in and not ask too many questions because you know they're either there to do a drug deal or they're there yeah. to have sex with a hooker or they're there to, you know, whatever <laughs> other things that people do in these these hotel rooms, uh, it's none of your business, really, what's what's going on in there. And if you make it your business, they may make you their business. And I suspect that is one reason why, even if the employee did make eye contact with this woman and could read her lips and was able to know, okay, this woman says she needs help, he may have been or she may have been scared to do something. Maybe they know who these people are. Maybe these guys or whoever it was that that had her captive maybe they're regulars at this hotel you know and you know that these guys are a dangerous crew and you don't want to potentially be considered the one who snitched them out yeah right i mean this is and this is the problem with these uh or the types of laws that require you to come to assistance like they passed in i, I think the 90s in massachusetts um, yeah, there you know, are things like this. right. Um, but the problem is, well, what happens if that person, you know, is some sort of heroin, you know, sex trafficker, you know, you are requiring them to put their life in danger at that point. Yeah. Right. I mean, that seems like a moral issue. Like, like uh, the law is morally flawed. Of course it is. And no one should have an obligation to act. As you said, Chris, should they have? Maybe they should have. You know, there's an argument from a moral perspective that if you could do something, you should do we're, something. The problem with this is, though, is we're not in a position to judge right. that employee. Right. We, we weren't don't there. know what happened. We right. don't know what the circumstances were. Yeah. We don't know. And the what, law certainly doesn't. Yeah. Well, of course, laws don't care about individual circumstances no. in a lot of cases. 
Uh, and so this is a really tragic story, and, uh, and I'm sorry to hear about it. Luckily, this woman survived this particular situation, but it's hard to place blame on the individuals in this story who did nothing because it's probably pretty intimidating dealing with, you know, human traffickers or whatever these guys they probably look like intimidating characters. And, you know, there's there's you know? some there's some other factors that we also might not be considering here. For example, often police are on the take, you know? Um sure. so what even if this guy had called 911, maybe nothing would have happened. He may have already known nothing was going to happen. Could be. And his life would have been in danger. Right. Or if the cops do show up and then the human traffickers want to try to figure out who called the cops. Well, yep. that's public information. Right. Uh, that person would be called at a trial ultimately mm. later on down the line in theory. Yep. And uh, and that's, you know, or they could just make a uh, an assumption that it was the, the front desk clerk and just. Send one yeah, of their buddies I mean, after him or something. It wouldn't surprise me if right? there was not many people working. This is a Motel 6, right? I mean, yeah. these are usually not... Low, low staff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're right? not like... They're not going to have tons... There's probably one staff person working at the front desk. Yep, if, especially if it's at nighttime. Yeah. Uh, let's talk to Tim. He's in Florida. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Tim. I was a night, au- I was a night auditor at a hotel um, and a different night. Maybe I'll tell you how I lost that job because it is related and it was kind of my dream job, and I was the only employee there. But actually, I called because uh, kind of uh, just before I lost my job, uh, during the Trump administration, there was some sort of, I don't know if it was an executive action or if it was actually passed through the legislature, uh, something passed regarding uh, human trafficking, which included the hotel's responsibility that if they were aware that prostitution is taking place on their premises, uh, that they must um, notify the police immediately. Otherwise, mm. they'll actually be implicated, uh, basically, as providing... This is in Florida? Uh, uh, it's actually federal. Federal? Yeah, I think I remember yeah. when this happened, when they passed this law, and I thought it was it was dangerous. Yeah. Wow. They, they, yeah. That's crazy. Um Basically, uh, basically, you know, if if you knew that it was happening at your hotel and you didn't say anything, how would you know? Then, then you would actually be considered to be one of the not like one of the human. What is considered what, to be knowledge, though? I mean, this would have been at best a suspicion, at least according and, to the case that and, we're again, talking about. Here. I think the other issue here is, uh, you know, even if you have a policy on this, what happens if the employee doesn't, uh, you know, abide by your policy that requires them to report it? Are you still liable or are you not liable because you had a policy right. on it? Well, they let me go. Um, and and it wasn't exactly the same situation. Um, I, I don't even want to get into it. But. Okay, but what what does it mean to have knowledge of this the situation, right? Like, if somebody explicitly tells you something, then I guess right. you have knowledge. But in this case, well, you I would, just... I would say a reasonable, you know, what, what would be considered a reasonable suspicion like... Um, you know, for example, it's a bunch of things. You know, you can't just profile someone and be sure because, yeah, people dress up like that anymore. It's, you mm-hmm. know, not just a prostitute that dresses up like that. But, you know, you take all the facts about the situation, you know, who they're with, you know, what they're talking about. Like, you, you hear a lot of conversations in the front lobby. And, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I don't know. Uh, she, probably she has some, some legal grounds to sue mm-hmm. the hotel. Whether, whether it's right or wrong. 
Yeah, I mean, it does sound like they, they've got a case simply because it already happened previously. There was somebody else who had a similar circumstance and their family sued and they got they got a settlement from uh, from the hotel owner in that case. So, yeah, maybe maybe so. Uh, Tim, anything else you want to share tonight? No, I'm going to drop off. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. The number here is 603-283-6160. Uh, and, and what he was saying there is if you uh, you're saying it's a federal law that if you that you have any knowledge of prostitution going on, which is different than human trafficking. Yeah, and this is something that uh, well, been, well, well, that's th- when they say human trafficking, they're including prostitution. I know that's the problem. They uh, <laughs> you see this happening all the time in recent years is whenever there's a discussion about let's say legalizing prostitution yep now, i've been to these hearings at the at the state house they always act like every prostitute is a human trafficking victim nope not the case and it's like no it's a minority of prostitutes i don't know what the percentage is but it's it's a minority of them because there are thankfully there are actual prostitutes that will come in there and they'll say uh yeah no i, well, I do this because i make money and, and you this know the why. disturbing part about it is they've actually forced people into the human trafficking business by outlawing things like backpage which mm. enabled prostitutes to basically work for themselves as opposed to working for a pimp right yep that's true uh and, and just to be clear i mean i don't know what every pimp prostitute relationship is but you know, there's no well, guarantee. Well, the assumption that, here is that they're all human. Everybody he's working for a pimp is human traffic. Yeah, that's but, the assumption, you know, but that's not per se true. Right. I mean, a pimp can be somebody who provides legitimate protection services to a prostitute and provides clients yep. uh, to the to the prostitute. So it could be a you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of situation. You can't. You shouldn't jump to a conclusion. The, and, and the humorous thing about that is the problem is the criminalization of sex. That's the problem. If if it yes. wasn't criminalized, the pimp wouldn't be a problem because if right. there was a problem, you could go to the police. But when sex is criminalized yes. or the sale of sex is criminalized, you have a pimp and you can't get out of that relationship because you can't go to the police because then you get arrested. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the solution here is, uh, as you're suggesting here, to end the prohibition on prostitution in the same way that the solution to the war, the problem with drugs is to end the war on drugs. You end prohibition and you can bring these products and services into the light. You can bring them into the light of a uh, relatively free market. Even a regulated market is better than, you know, what we have now with people risking STDs and risking prison and risking their lives in order to uh, to do this business. And it's a business that's not going to go away. You know, they call it the oldest profession for a reason. It's been around for a very, very long time. And no amount of undercover sting operations and however many millions of dollars they've been pouring into enforcement on this over the years, no amount of it is going to end prostitution. And we've all seen the stories of prostitutes getting picked up, getting arrested, getting maybe a little bit of time in jail, right back out on the streets to go back to doing prostitution because that's what they know. That's how they make money. They can make way better money at that than working a job at Walmart 
Well, and or you know, whatever. you know, the disturbing thing too is that the police know this. They they know when they arrest the prostitutes, the prostitutes they're going back out. Yeah. They're just going to go right back out right. there once they're released. You know, even before there's a trial, or you know, there probably will never be a trial. But mm-hmm. you know, before there is some sort of conviction, those prostitutes are back out there on the street working the job. Sure, you know, it's like it's not like they you've actually done anything to stop prostitution by arresting nope. them. They're just padding their arrest records. Yep, and prosecutions padding their conviction records. It, it, it's it's really on. absolutely disgusting. That, you know, you know, to, to protect and serve, but it's not to protect and serve you. It's not to protect and serve the prostitutes. It's to protect and serve the government, the establishment. Yeah. And in this case, they're not really protecting any business, right? Like normally with regulations, there's an, in, an industry that is promoting the regulations so they can restrict competition. But considering this industry is completely illegal... Who are they really protecting here? Yeah, it's not even like the drug industry, like the legal drug industry, right, like pharmaceuticals or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Right. Um, it there. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, there is an industry that maybe benefits potentially um, from the prohibit prohibition, um, possibly with like, uh, you know, um, maybe arresting pimps. Maybe a pimp would get some time in a cage and the prison industrial com- complex would, you know, because there's private private prisons that benefit so maybe there is some you know somebody making money off it but i don't know not directly yeah i see what you're saying yeah it's, yeah it's a stretch it's probably true to and some extent there but. is there is another group that's making money off of it for sure 100 mm-hmm. percent guaranteed 100 I, I can tell you this with 100 percent certainty that is the law enforcement officers themselves because they need to make it look like there's crime mm-hmm. in order to justify their paycheck yep that's true uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. I did say we were going to talk about the library case. Just a quick update here. Uh, they have filed what should be the final filing in this years-long uh, civil case that the folks over at Library, which is an amazing uh, media-sharing protocol. You can go to lbry.com to learn more about it. It still exists, by the way. The protocol it's not going away. As much as uh, that might upset the Securities and Exchange Commission that brought a lawsuit against Library a few years ago. Uh, The Library case, unfortunately, was lost by Library and won by the SEC. But the final um, remedy or whatever they call this particular portion of the case, it's essentially the... Sort of like the sentencing in a criminal case, but it's a civil case, so there's another term that I'm losing right now. I think it also starts with a S. It's not sentencing. Settlement. I think it's called a settlement. So this is the settlement, quote-unquote, in this case. Not that the case was settled before trial, but that they're settling the details of who gets punished it- it's such extent. a weird choice of words when you've been found it, because you weren't found guilty, but right. responsible or yeah, whatever. liable, I guess liable. So uh, what's happening now is both sides, the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission and library are filing or have filed now their um, their final legal arguments uh, on what what the settlement should be. What should the details be of this situation? What should the court issue as a final order uh, in this case? The SEC filed theirs within the last couple of weeks, and it essentially said, we want $111,000, and we want the library to you know, disband, we want them to burn their library credits, which they said they were going to do. Uh, they dropped the demand for $22 million, I think it was, 
in uh, in that case because they acknowledge that library doesn't have that kind of money and so there's no way they're going to be able to get that blood yeah, from the stone. I, I think if it's a civil case, they it would be defaulted, or they or in bankruptcy it would be it would go away. So I mm. bet you that's why. And if it was criminal, it wouldn't be. I see. So that's probably why they 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 bailed on that. Yeah, they bailed on that. Uh, the library filing just came in today, and it's seven pages. They have a few few points here, and the main point is they are arguing still, and I guess this hasn't been decided yet. That the commission, the SEC, lacks authority to regulate digital assets or impose relief. And they bring up what's called the major questions doctrine. So I'm just going to read this excerpt here. It says, it forecloses the commission's efforts to regulate digital assets, including LBC, and impose injunctive and monetary relief without specific congressional authorization. Courts consistently presume that, quote, Congress intends to make major policy decisions itself, not leave those decisions to agencies. And then they cite a 2022 case, West Virginia versus the EPA. This was the case that actually got brought up in the Crypto 6 case. Uh, It was dismissed, I think, uh, in our motion. But essentially it says that uh, an agency's assertion of, quote, unheralded regulatory power over a significant portion of the American economy presents a major question. Meaning that a clear statement from Congress is necessary to authorize an agency to exercise powers of vast economic and political significance. And so they're essentially saying here that the SEC does not have that authority. They do not have the authority to regulate cryptocurrency. It's not anywhere in the law. And so they want the court to make a statement about that in their final judgment. And then they also want to ensure that Odyssey and other LBC users are not being going to be targeted uh, by the SEC. And also that uh, consumptive sales of LBC, the library credits, are not prohibited, meaning that individuals selling and buying library credits to one another wouldn't be targeted by the SEC. They want the court to do all this. Keep an eye on the case, and we'll see you tomorrow night. If you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate, well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Realtor Mark Ward. Now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in New Hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime. Our friends at Porcupine Real Estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by New Hampshire citizens. Reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com. Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com